0: good evening everybody welcome back to exploring the lord of the rings this is session number 170 as we get to, we continue to move towards the end of Gandalf's narrative tonight. We are retracing Frodo's steps very quickly. Gandalf's uh, synopsis of his very rapid return on Shadow Facts to the Shire and from the Shire to Bree uh, is like the express Cliff's Notes version of uh, Frodo's journey uh, from Bag End uh, uh, to Bree. Uh, so, um, Anyway, uh, that's uh, where we will be focusing here tonight. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, hey, wh- one quick announcement I wanted to make is that we are enrolling for TexMoot. TexMoot is happening remotely uh, this year. Still not able to get together as usual, but the TexMoot folks still wanted to have a gathering, so we are uh, we are ha- we're having TexMoot. Uh, if you go either to texmoot.org or to SignumUniversity.org and there's an event page on there, uh, you can get to the registration registration link to register for the virtual text mood, of course, the bad thing is we're not going to get together in another marvelous barbecue opportunity for me missed out on, but apart from that, um at least the good news is that everybody is able to join us this year so uh, I've been uh, uh, really enjoying watching uh, the registrations um uh, come in, uh, on that, uh, sort of seeing people from, uh, lots of different parts of the, of the country and the world, uh, to sign up to participate with us there. So, um, uh, anyway, so anyway, I am, um, um, uh, really glad that we're doing that we haven't done uh a moot uh an online moot uh since middle moot uh back in october uh so uh really excited to be getting together again yes there thank you uh sharon for posting the link there uh there is the um uh the, yes exactly it's a spiritual moot that that's that's it that's exactly it um so i uh hope that uh, uh you guys will be able to join us uh this should be uh uh this should definitely be a lot of fun and of course today not today today is tuesday yesterday was the first day of our official spring semester uh in on our signum ma program Uh, uh a lot of excitement this term we have a whole bunch of people uh, showing up to take our brand new course in the Gothic language, Tolkien would have loved that course. Uh, so, uh, if you want to get even more out of the names of the the, <laughs> the kings of Rohanian uh, in uh, uh, in Appendix A, uh, you should. There's still time to sign up to take Gothic. Um, it's you know, to me, it's just like one of the things you can kind of say in a nutshell. Uh, To kind of express how awesome uh, Signum University's program is, is just to say that we like had to we've packed out, you know, four discussion sections full uh, of people who have been lining up uh, to take Gothic. Our Gothic language class is hot uh, and uh, people are really excited about that. So um yeah i uh, uh, there is not very much attested gothic uh that remains um a little bit but there's not very much um I, this is its its this is why it is part of our Germanic philology thing. You know, we started with Anglo-Saxon and Old Norse, and now we're, we're moving back into some of the other languages, uh, some of the other less attested languages. But again, this is, uh, this is the stuff, uh, you know, going back and looking at the, you know, sort of delving into the, the history of languages. Uh, this, was, this was Tolkien's bread and butter. Uh, and so it's, uh, it's just really fun. Even just sort of watching from a distance, like, it just warms my heart. Uh, to see us offering these courses um so um anyway yeah it's um it's it's pretty cool um uh so that's Gonna be that's uh, that already is in fact a really fun course and that's going on. Of course, we have several, you know, uh, uh, many other courses that are happening this semester. Uh, encourage you if you wanted to uh, get in on that either uh, as an auditor or if you have taken a course in our program before and we're, uh, you know, wanting to jump back into that. There's still time. Uh, you can enroll for the next two weeks. Um, uh, so, uh, let's see. Did Tolkien ever translate any of works in any of his works into Gothic? I don't remember. Um, I don't remember him doing it, Uh, but um, Anglo-Saxon, yes, because, of course, it was part of the historical frame, right? When he was imagining uh, the Alfwina frame um, of the um, Book of Lost Tales and stuff, you know, he did stretches of translation of... um, uh, you know some of the quintiilmerillilian material uh from the early thirties into anglo saxon um you know because like you have to actually do the authentic anglo saxon version right that Alfwinna would have uh uh translated uh you know from the elvish into um but um Yeah, so Bjarne honor, we have, we don't have a modern linguistics uh, class, but we do have uh, a two-semester philology track, Germanic Philology 1 and 2, um, uh, to help, so in addition to our course cycles, which study the particular languages, so we do, and by cycles, what I mean is, um, like, so for Anglo-Saxon and Old Norse, we have a class in translation just on the literature, right? So you can, you know, discuss Beowulf and, and other Anglo-Saxon poems and the Old Norse sagas and things um, in translation, so that's accessible to everybody. Um, then we also have the introduction to the language, so basically a language acquisition class to help to train you, uh, you know, from go from zero to Beowulf, you know, in one semester. Um, and uh, and then we have a follow-up semester to that, which is a translation seminar um, where you go through and you, you do your own translation of Beowulf for Anglo-Saxon, uh, and you do your own translation of um I'm, I'm, i don't remember which one of the Eddas i think it varies depending on who's teaching it um but you, you know take some of the some of the edaic poetry and do your own translation of that um so you're really within you know within that three semester cycle certainly within the latter two semesters you really you know get immersed uh in the language and and really start working on that yourself so in addition to those and the gothic is new that's that's our newest addition to the uh to these language courses and um uh, in addition to that, we do have our two semester Germanic philology uh, uh, courses just to sort of talk about the the sort of the bigger picture of the philological process and uh, and how, you know, how you go about doing philology, how you figure out what Gothic would have been and all that kind of thing. Um, so um, anyway, that's um, uh, that's how our language courses went. so this is that's basically our you know kind of what our Germanic philology uh, concentration is composed of in the in the Signum MA it is super fun um, I, I've been saying for a while um, I, I think I, I'm I still have not yet found any counterexamples to this statement. Um I think that Signum University has the world's only growing Germanic philology program. Um you know it is a it is a it is a study, it is a science which is diminishing everywhere around the world but not at Signum. It is thriving at Signum. Uh and that's uh and that's that's a lot of fun. Um Okay. Um uh, oh, I see. Uh, Aslan's compass is taking Chaucer. That, oh, yeah, my the Chaucer classes that I t- taught those that uh, I originally taught those a couple years back. Those were so much fun. Oh my goodness, uh, I uh, I had a ball with the Chaucer classes. Um, yeah, cool. Um, okay, yes, excellent. Um, so. With those announcements, sorry, I'm all digressing now with my enthusiasm talking about our uh, language program, but, um, okay, let's, uh, get back into the text here. So we ended out last time halfway through this slide, right? We were talking about Shadowfax and Gandalf's introduction to Shadowfax. Shadow he might have been Fold in the Morning of the World. You know, we talked about all that stuff. Um, but we didn't do the second paragraph, which is when he begins to narrate his actual journey. Uh, so that's what I want to focus on. Uh, th- that's what I want to focus on here. Uh, so, But fear grew in me as I rode. Ever as I came north, I heard tidings of the riders, and though I gained on them day by day, they were ever before me. They had divided their forces, I learned. Some remained on the eastern borders, not far from the greenway, and some invaded the shire from the south. I came to Hobbiton, and Frodo had gone. But I had words with old Gamgee, many words and few to the point. He had much to say about the shortcomings of the new owners of Bag End. Um, one little sort of side note that I would add here... There are several comments that Gandalf makes in this part of his narrative that I am pretty convinced are targeted um, at um, are targeted at Sam. I, I think that Sam or Gandalf noticed that Sam walked in uh, with Frodo because there are a couple of fairly egregious things, especially about Gaffer Gamji, um, that Gandalf says that are not really, I think. Absolutely germane to his narrative, especially since remember Gandalf announced his intention, uh, you know, a a couple paragraphs ago to compress things and speed up his narrative a little bit, right? Um, so you know, like, I I, and here I'm thinking especially of what we're going to see in the next paragraph when he actually quotes what Gaffer Gamgee says, um, but uh, but he he really does not need to tell us, uh, uh, Gaffer Gamgee's opinion. I um, I think that he is again I think that Sam is his target audience uh, of this passage, that he is in context here kind of building in an update um, uh, for uh, Frodo also uh, and Sam as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I definitely um, um, I definitely think that he adds these details, Again, there's no, I think... I don't see any clear narrative reason for him to uh, to, to to introduce that. Why Gamji has much to say about the shortcomings of the new owners of Bag End? Surely Galdor from the Havens not especially interested in Gaffer Gamji's opinion of his new neighbors, right? Not exactly. The uh, <laughs> right? Nelson says, "What of Gaffer Gamji? What are his counsels in in this need?" Yeah, exactly. Said nobody at <laughs> the Council of Elrond, Nelson. Exactly, exactly. Um, uh, Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, exactly, Tony, they, they, there was no way that almost anybody, uh, I mean, there's gotta be no more than three people, or three people, really, in this room. Has even Aragorn heard of Gaffer Gamgee? I mean, he, old Gamgee, he can figure out who he's talking to, right? But I mean, Frodo, Bilbo, and Sam are the only people who are even going to know who he's talking to. Even Elrond is probably not even going to know who old Gamgee, again, he can figure it out, probably, but, um, not exactly relevant, so, um... Uh, Yeah, yeah. Now, good, Matt, I agree with you there. Uh, Matt adds that um, not only is, you know, Sam likely a target audience of this, but Gandalf could also be laying the groundwork for how resistant hobbits are to the power and devices of the enemy. Um, Yeah, I mean, this, especially in reaction to... And that's what I wanted to kind of fold back uh, uh, to as well. um, The way in which... um, the way in which we see the Nazgûl's actions being discussed here, right? So remember, it's like, remember Gandalf's, where Gandalf's head is at, right? Um, At this, at the time that he's describing. He was in Orthanc for months, up in Orthanc for months, pacing back and forth, imagining, for months imagining what the Nazgûl were up to, what they might have, how long could it take them, you know, what's the maximum time it could possibly take them to find the Shire, you know, now that they're going up, you know, up and down doors searching for it, how long could it possibly take them to find it, how soon had Frodo left, how, you know, it's, I mean, the way that he must have been, as he describes, torturing himself with, uh, with wondering and worrying about what's happening here, um, and then, of course, now he's escaped, and you know we heard his words to Gwai here about how he needs a a steed a, a steed surpassing, surpassingly swift. His 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 need for speed in order to get back into the north. So he is clearly, when he sets out from Rohan, he believes that the odds are disaster has already happened. Right? I mean, he's got to be thinking that. Um, And he's riding with, like, the desperate hope that there still might be some chance of, uh, you know, preventing uh, disaster or perhaps, I don't know, uh, you know, avenging it uh, or whatever. Um, But um, uh, anyway, um, they—so notice a couple things here. Um, His fear is growing as he rides, right? So he's hearing news as he rides north. Um, so he does stop long enough to ask people. So again, I'm not sure exactly whom he's asking. Refugees, because, I mean, if he's... If refugees are still headed north, which we know they are because they're still arriving in Bree when Frodo's there, right? Um, so refugees are still heading north, um he is passing them, right? Like crazy, right? I mean, here comes Gandalf just like, you know, blue shifted into the, you know, <laughs> as, as he's coming towards them uh, from the south, right? Um, he is uh, going to be passing. But he's obviously pausing long enough uh, to, um, uh, he's pausing long enough to um, ask them questions, right? And so this, his as he says, his fear is growing. He is not reassured. By what he hears as he goes north. So again, remember what he's expecting to find. Um, and though I gained on them day by day, they were ever before me. Right. So so he just you know uh, you know he knows he's he's getting closer. But again, is he going to possibly get there in time? And then he learns that they've divided their forces. Some remained on the eastern borders of the shire, right, not far from the Greenway, and some invaded the shire from the south. Um, there are several of the things of of several elements of that that I think is very interesting first of all what are the nazgûl doing remember that we've talked about you know remember all of our conversations right when when we were trying to kind of think about the uh the hunt for frodo from the nazgûl perspective right especially from the witch king's perspective and uh, you know I was talking about how my own respect for the um you know the challenges faced By the Witch King, uh, you know, really increased in the reading that we were doing as we were going through there to really think about the way, you know, not to think about this about sort of how we assume it's going to be, basically how Gandalf was thinking of it, right? Remember when you know he was talking about he had over how he overestimated the power of the enemy, right? Um, And a lot of times I think we do tend to read it like that, just imagining that the Nazgul are sort of unstoppable. This, um, uh. Yeah, so Sam says if they're splitting up does that indicate to Gandalf that Frodo and company have left and the other Nazgûl are waiting to cut them off if they escape? I wonder, right? I mean, it's before they find they find him, right? So the the those Nazgûl who were in the Shire right? The one who talks to Gaffer Gamgee, uh, the one that they meet on the road, uh, you know, with the night that Gildor finds them, right? The one that they hear uh, on the road up above them, you know, as they're headed off into the Marish, the one who Farmer Maggot talks to, the one that they see um, on the landing of the Buckleberry Ferry, right, as they're going across. Now, I this is, they're probably not all different Nazgul, right? But there are several of them uh, who are in the Shire at that time. Um, and uh Um, right. So when they are going in for the first, so those, those Nazgul, right. Those ones who make the initial foray into the Shire, um, some of the some of the other remain on the eastern borders, so they split up before they know that Frodo has left. They they can have no information about this, right? They've only just discovered that this is the Shire, in fact, right? They've only just learned that they finally found the land that they're looking for, and now they're sending a couple of them, uh, you know, several of the Nazgul into the Shire in order to start asking for baggins, right, and try to figure out where he lives. Um, uh, so. Um, yeah, exactly. Michael Tobias says classic mistake never split the party. Well, yeah, Michael. And that's I mean, I know that's like classic role playing uh, 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 uh role playing game advice, right? You know, it, it, uh, my 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 sons know this. Uh it was funny over uh Christmas we were uh playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was running a little adventure with uh, my, my nephew uh, who had never played before and my sons were playing with him. And, uh, you know, we get to this place and he's like, OK, why don't we split up? And both of my sons were like, no, <laughs> I'm like, ah, I've taught them well. Anyway, it is classic advice, right? But it's even more relevant for the uh, for the non-school because we've heard i mean gandalf himself has said when the witch king is gathered together with all of his with all of his dudes right he's more powerful like they are more powerful together it's a big deal for them to split the party um not just that it you know kind of uh makes things worse in the in sort of a general way but like they are less powerful when they're so why does he do it why does he do it um and i think that it's interesting. I mean, partly, I can. I mean, I think we can come up with a, a few different sort of um, speculations here. Um, uh, it's possible that they're like not 100%. I mean, how do they know that this is the Shire? Like, how confident are they that they found the Shire and that they know exactly where they're going? Maybe they're trying to cover more ground. But again, They've not been splitting up routinely, as far as we know, through Eriador, right? This seems to be sort of a separate thing. And I can't help but think, you know what I'm reminded of? What I'm reminded of is the, um, the Dell Weathertop, um, and the Nazgul that stay outside the circle and don't enter in, right? Five of them are there. Two of them stay. Only three of them come in, um. And, uh, you know, we were saying at the time there are a couple ways to read that, but I don't read that as a tactical decision on their part. We have no indications. Um, there's nothing that suggests that it's a tactical um, approach. There's nothing in the description of the setup and there's nothing in the description of what happens afterwards to suggest that that was a purely tactical uh, move on their part. Um, I th- It's... However, I think that there's a good deal of evidence to suggest that they were, um, you know, swimming against the current, spiritually speaking, Um, that 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 Dell was defended. Um, And it was it was, you know, the the approach, the attack was from the Ringwraith's point of view, non-trivial. And I think that two of them didn't make it. Only five of them were there, and they were all weaker as a consequence. Um, again, Gandalf commenting on that. Um, so, um, uh, so anyway, that's—I um, <laughs> see, uh, Kurtzimus was asking, could Bombadil take all nine? Uh, at his house? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I would take Bombadil against all nine um, in his domain, right? Um were they to go into the old forest and, you know, come up the, you know, go up down under hill game over, uh, uh, for the, yeah, absolutely. Um, but, um, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway. Okay. So, wow. Sorry. There's, um, um, whole lots of comments tonight. I'm trying to keep up with everything here. Um, and yet, uh, Andrew there on YouTube, yes, I agree, the distance matters, the distance factors in. I mean, the Nazgul are different this far away from Mordor, the geographic distance from away from Sauron, away from Mordor, away from their center of power, clearly makes a difference. Um, they are much, much weaker when they are out here. So that's one factor, right? But there is also the positive factor of the Shire, and I know several of you were pointing to that uh, before. Um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, okay, um, yes, is all of Old Forest Bombadil Territory? No idea, no idea, I don't know where his boundaries are exactly, um, um, I think so, but I don't know, I mean, uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to take the risk, um, but anyway, so my, my point is, Notice also the witch king doesn't go himself. The witch king does not go himself into the shire uh, it's uh you know he sends his lieutenant you know and a couple a couple red shirt osgul uh into the shire um i um i really don't um uh, it seems to me very possible that they know this is this is difficult. This is difficult terrain for them, like spiritually speaking, difficult terrain. Um, they are Tony, I think, in the word that in the phrase that you used earlier on. They are seriously wrong-footed in the Shire. They're they're uh, hampered. Um, there is power of a sort too in the Shire. We are going to learn fairly soon, um, and that I think is uh, is what we're seeing there. He is sending out scouts, Tony, but it's not just scouts, right? I mean, this is the main mission. Those that he sends into the Shire are seeking baggins. Um, this is, I mean, if he's there, right. If Baggins, whoever Baggins is, is there with the ring, the ones who get sent into the Shire are going to be the ones to complete the quest. So that delegation is a little bit, it's a little bit puzzling to me. Um, Bruinier, it's exactly what it looks like that the Witch King clearly follows the Picard model of away teams rather than the Kirk model. That's exactly what it looked That like. He's sending an away team um, under his number one, right? But not, he's not going himself. Is he protecting himself? You know, is he, uh, is he, is, I mean, I already made the Star Trek joke, right? Calling them red shirts. But I mean, is that what he's doing? I mean, is he sending in some red shirts? And, you know, because it looks like this, this might be, you know, tough sledding. Is he, I'm you know, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. Um, it is possible, Astrogypsy, as you point out uh there on YouTube, that he could be uh sending his help in to sort of flush out the prey with the the intent of waiting for them to run into his hands. He doesn't seem particularly ready for that. I mean that is it doesn't work. Um, though, you know, I guess perhaps you could say that could be due to the successful uh you know, the way in which Frodo and, and company successfully vanish into the old forest and for like a day and a half, right? Nobody knows where they are or when they're coming out. So when they pop out, um, you know, on the road practically in Bree, um it takes everybody by surprise and so you could say that that was uh uh you know a, a successful diversion, you know, uh or, you know uh, on on Frodo's part. Um but um yeah. Well, Craig uh, asks, uh, you know, a great question. Was the power of the Shire a kind of retcon on Tolkien's part to explain the discrepancy and the power the Nazgul demonstrate throughout the books? Yes and no, Craig, I would say. Um, I mean, I think that so. I mean, t- first of all, to some extent, Tolkien's always retconning in the sense that one thing that is totally clear when you look at the development of the story in the history of the Lord of the Rings is, um, the story is always growing in the telling, right? Tolkien is always discovering new stuff. Um, so to some extent, yeah. Um, he he. Do- it's not like at the time he's describing, uh, you know, the ringwraiths in the Shire, he already has in mind exactly what they're going to be doing on the battlefields of Gondor later on. Like, he totally does not. Like, that's he has not yet even really envisioned that part of the story, and that doesn't emerge until later on. So when it does emerge, and he... You know, getting get there sort of discovers. Okay, this is how the story goes. When they're here, they're much more powerful now. In that sense, yeah. Now he he's got to sort of retcon that back and and sort of explain how that works and why that works. Um, but it isn't like he just had to completely like shift things in order to accommodate a a, a major change because it's not a major change. Um, the uh, the the concept of the Nazgul being stronger as they move up, that's a fairly, he discovers that idea relatively early on in the process. It's not like he changed his mind about it and then had to change everything. So it's, it's, he doesn't really discover that in full until later. But again, that's true of almost everything. Tolkien writes, um, he never, um, planned out more than like a few chapters at a time ahead of him. And even those plans, uh, often, uh, go by the wayside pretty quickly once the narrative actually begins. Um, but uh, but now, Emily, you're right, they're not trying to conquer the entire shire. They're just looking to take a ring from one Hobbit. Um, so it is, in this sense, more of a, a sort of a, you know, precise mission. It's you know, they're not they don't need all nine of them to kind of conquer it. but but again, no, it's not a battlefield situation, but um, but I wonder, there are two possibilities it seems to me. One is that. Upon reaching the borders of the Shire, the Witch King is perceiving that there might be troubles and, like, sends in a couple, like, sends in his away team um, to kind of feel things out because he doesn't want to, like, put them all, I don't want to say into jeopardy because I don't think he's worried that they're all going to be, you know, killed by the hobbits or anything, um, but um, but just, you know, sends in a sort of explore, a smaller exploratory mission to check it out. But it's also possible that this is a sign of him un- underestimating things um that he um i think emily coming back to what you were saying there that he um he doesn't want to um i i don't think that he you know needs to like you know imagines them galloping down the road in this you know wedge formation uh, blowing uh uh insidious trumpets or and they wouldn't blow trumpets but you know screeching off puttingly uh as they're galloping down the road uh terrifying all of the hobbits and, and raising the countryside um there's no there's no there's no percentage f- in that for them like why would they do that um his desire to kind of get in and out more quietly it seems to me very possibly very possible that he would rather Keep it lower key because it's going to make things, it's going to simplify things. Um, so he sends in a smaller party. In other words, it seems to me that the likeliest, as I think it through, I think that the likeliest explanation of the away team approach here is that he's underestimating the Shire. He does not anticipate that they're going to have the problems they're going to have. He is not imagining that his away team is going to get shown the door uh, by Gaffer Gamgee and Farmer Maggot. You know, like, I don't think that he anticipated that. Um, And I think it would have been a lot uh, easier going for the Nazgul had, in fact, all nine of them uh, gone along with it. And I want to come back to what Marielle was saying uh, just a minute ago. Um, Yes, that you're right, the Witch King isn't much of a front lines general, um, he seems to um, uh, apply the same wisdom which Denethor attributes to Sauron and sardonically to himself, um, uh, leading from behind and sending his captains in. Right? It is true that um, he is the first one through the gate uh, in Minas Tirith, but that's not because really he's leading from the front. Um, It's that's a piece of theater, really. Um, I don't think he was going to be the first one. I mean, we don't know how that would have played out, right? Had the cock not crowed at that moment and Rohan not appeared. Um, But I I don't think his plan had been to, um, you know, lead the fight in the forefront of the battle. Um, He knows full well the symbolic uh, and uh, even spiritual significance of being the first hostile enemy ever to ride through the gates of Minas Tirith. Um, uh, so he claims that to himself in order to announce in that moment, this is my hour. Um, it is because he believes it's his hour that he does it again, not because he's, you know, the first man over the wall, like, you know, the first man over the wall in a, in a Roman assault or something like that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um Okay, good. Um, <laughs> yes, Kurtzimus is right. They weren't. They weren't armed for sauce. No, they did not expect to receive sauce uh, from the Shire uh, hobbits. Absolutely not. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Gerthwin, you're right. Uh, I think they do. You know, we do know that they thrive on fear, and that does seem to be a part of it. The hobbits are. They are not as. A, they. Their response is not one of terror. I mean, contrast this with what... Um, uh, and by this, contrast the reaction of the hobbits that we know have had interactions with them, right? Um, Gaffer Gamji, right? Whom Sam talks to fresh out, like, within an hour of, you know, his father's encounter, face-to-face encounter with a Nazgul, right? Uh, like, just minutes later... There's Gaffer Gamgee calling him a, you know, a strange black chap, right, who talk funny. I mean, that's—he's not overcome with terror, right? There's no sign of Gaffer Gamgee coming under the influence of the black breath there on, you know, uh, from within his own threshold. Uh, and Farmer Maggot, you know, sends those riders to the rightabouts, right? I mean, that's—that's—that's—that's— that's, 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 um yeah, yeah, uh, exactly, Kurtzimus. We we get uh, Farmer Maggot uh, uh, more than a couple minutes. But yeah, I mean, just earlier that day, he too. And neither one of them is stricken with terror. Whereas, Remember what Gandalf is encountering as he rides north, right? He's riding north, which means presumably some of the refugees, which, again, I'm presuming it must be refugees that he's meeting with. It might be some others. Um, You know, maybe there's like the stray ranger or something that he encounters who gives him news. But I'm assuming it's mostly people on the greenway that he's talking to. Like the rumor of the passing like the terror of the passing which in some it might be weeks old right it might be weeks ago that the nazgûl were in the area and yet like everybody is still creeped out weeks later such that gandalf can tell gandalf can sense it right um and yet um you know <laughs> in the shire it doesn't leave it doesn't seem to leave much in the way of a lasting impression. Now, it's quite possible, of course, that Gaffer Gamgee and Farmer Maggot, we certainly know in the case of Farmer Maggot, we have Tom Bombadil's testimony that Farmer Maggot is a cut above the ordinary. You know, he's not just a typical Hobbit. Um, But still, it seems pretty clear. Um, So I think that it's a really great point that one of the reasons, well, I, I don't know whether to say it's one of the reasons the Nazgul are weaker in the Shire or simply like one of the ways in which they're, weakness is manifested. I'm not sure whether it's cause or effect, in other words. Um, but it is plainly, it is plain evidence, one way or the other, of the decreased power. You know, the way in which, like, if you want evidence of how how much weaker the Nazgul are while in the Shire, then they are not only um, in Mordor, you know, and like on the battlefields of Minas Tirith, but as they are like in the wild, like at Weathertop or, you know, uh, or, you know, in the wilds outside of Brie. Um, they're different in the Shire and you can see it in the impact or lack of impact that they have on, uh, the Shire Hobbits, uh, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Good. okay excellent um sorry just looking makes i know i'm missing a whole bunch of comments so again i apologize as always uh and i'm now looking at two different feeds um one of which feed has four different feeds all conglomerated in it so uh if i miss some of the things you say don't be afraid to repeat some things uh if you know they're still relevant and coming around i apologize for that um but um uh yeah yeah um you know, I would be really curious. JJ I saw your comment before that if the uh um if the Nazgûl had been a day later they would have encountered Lobelia and JJ added and it would have served them right. Um yes, yes. Uh that would have been an interesting meeting, right? Uh what what uh I I wonder. I wonder what Lobelia would have made of them and what they would have made of her. Part of me wants to say that um, here's my theory. My theory is Lobelia would have done quite well. Um, I could absolutely see, if push came to shove, Lobelia going for one of the Nazgul with her umbrella. Right. That would not surprise me. Lobelia strikes me as someone um, of sufficiently strong uh, will that she could do that. But you know what? I bet that uh, Pimple would not have fared as well. I just don't. I just. I. I just don't think he would. Um, and I would be interested to see how the sort of what evidence there would be of Lotho's corruption, right? Because he's already being corrupted. Um, uh, you know, we're not going to. We don't see the corruption in Lotho because he's already, well, <laughs> corrupted slightly more profoundly in the sense of decomposing by the time we meet him again, but. Um, uh certainly Ted Sandyman is the example that we have of a corrupted you know a, a corrupted hobbit there at the end um but I think the evidence suggests that Lotho was already being corrupted uh there <laughs> sorry sorry Chris spoiler alert yeah absolutely sorry sorry about that um but um but anyway yeah yeah I think um I think uh I think Lobelia would have handled it much better than than uh than they would. And JJ, you're absolutely right. Uh Lobelia is unpleasant. She is. She's an unpleasant piece of work, but she is not corrupt in that way. You know, her her spirit, uh, cantankerous and unfriendly as it tends to be, is very much uh her own. And I think I do think she would have held out pretty well uh against them. Um uh yeah, yeah. Um okay, so um Yeah, good. Um, and uh, so, okay. So I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna suspect based the 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 dividing of the party and the Witch King staying outside and sending in the away team suggests. I, I it seems to me the best reading there is that he's underestimating the Shire and there they they end up having a great deal more trouble. Now I want to circle back to the observation that Matt made because I do think that uh, Gandalf's Quotation of Gam, of you know his his reference to to, to the gaffer here, um, seems to me to accomplish three separate things. Right, um, one the thing I already mentioned being a sort of um, aside, right, a, a, a sort of a side assurance, a funny anecdote that's going to make Bilbo laugh, um, uh, a, a reassurance that's going to mean a very great deal uh, to Sam uh, and a uh, and also to Frodo as well, but especially to Sam, of course about the gaffer and that he's okay. Um, Certainly, Sam must have thought about that many times, right? I mean, he learned about the Black Riders from his father. um, But then, of course, they've learned a lot about the Black Riders uh, since they left. And, of course, he knows that they've been out of the Shire and following them for some time now. But I've got to think that Sam is wondering, like, did the Black Rider... Go, go back after we left, right? I mean, like, it's, you know, now that he has learned about the, the you know, he's encountered the Black Riders himself, he's got to have been worrying a little bit about his dad, right? Um, but, um, anyway, okay, so, so again, so one thing is that he's reassuring them, but the second thing, as Matt said, he's also giving a little bit of testimony here, right, uh, to the council as a whole about Hobbits, Right. They know they don't know much about hobbits, but they do know a little bit of something about the Nazgul. Right. And so for him to throw out the fact that Gaffer Gamgee had encountered the Nazgul and yet his still his primary concern in life is the shortcoming of his neighbors. (laughs) That's a big deal. Right. Um, That's not only vastly reassuring uh, to Sam. That has got I mean, those Members of the council who are really paying attention, um, that has got to uh, uh, kind of perk up some ears, I've got to think, right? I mean, who, even Boromir, think about Boromir, right? I mean, if Boromir is really paying attention, it's like, hey, Boromir, yeah, that, um, that Power that you encountered on the battlefield that none of your people could stand against? Yeah. Um, Sam's dad just kind of shrugged them off, right? Dismissed them like an annoying caller at the door, slammed the door in his face, and continued to worry about his annoying neighbors, right? That's that's who we're dealing uh, with there. Um <laughs> the parallels are really fun. JJ is saying, I had forgotten Gaffer Kamji. He is a strange creature, but maybe I should have summoned him to our council. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, yes. Um, so um uh, now Emily, you you're, you're totally right. Yes, the Nazgul in Osgiliath were trying to conquer the city, and of course they're much stronger there. Again, I'm not I'm not saying the situations are the same, but I am saying Boromir's encountered them. Right? Boromir encountered the Nazgul on the battlefield. He is one of the only people in the room who has encountered one of the Nazgul. I mean, has Galdor from the Havens ever personally come face to face with one of the Ulyri? Maybe. Maybe he has. Maybe he was there at the, you know, the battle, you know, the after the, you know, at the downfall of uh, uh, Angmar. Uh, right. You know, the you know, where uh, Gorfindel made his prophecy. Maybe he was there and has encountered them before, but we don't know. Um, uh, but um, uh, but in any case, um, uh the contrast is pretty striking, right? The contrast between Boromir's account of, of, you know, so Boromir has personal memories to draw upon here. Right. Um, and so he, if he's tracking this, uh, and, and, and really, you know, it's really sinking in that the same, uh, the same power that he encountered on the battlefield that no, no one, including himself could stand against just had the door slammed, uh, in his face by Sam's old paw. Um, that's kind of a big deal, right? Um, uh, yeah. Now, I uh, say, I don't know how to. Now, welcome, by the way. I don't know how to pronounce your name. Uh, uh, Titan, I'm going to say Titanomachy. Titanomachy. That's that I, when I can't figure it out. I usually just try to find the maximally fun way to pronounce somebody's uh, handle. But anyway, welcome. By the way, saw it was your first class after catching up. Congratulations, um, uh, uh, Titanomaki. Okay, that's actually kind of fun, like the Battle of Titans. Okay, sure. I can go. With, I can go with that, Michael. Anyway, um, Titan. Titanomachy says, uh, if anything will induce Sam to leave its master, it's the gaffer in danger. Uh, So Gandalf is doing Frodo a favor by specifically putting Sam at ease here. That does seem to me, certainly, to be likely likely to be one of the consequences, right? To kind of make things easier in that way. Um, um, Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, But I said there were three things that I think that we can see there. One is... The reassurance to Sam and Frodo. The second is a little testimonial of uh, what happens when Hobbit encounters uh, encounters Nazgul. And just like let's uh, let's put you know let's kind of put this into context, uh, members of the Council. But the third point is going back to his fear, right? Um, just imagine how really. I think this is also a very understated and and. Uh, sort of self-deprecatingly comical way for Gandalf to narrate his own relief, right? I mean, he has been worried for months. Not just worried for his friends, of course, he is worried. It's not just that he uh, fears that his friends in the Shire must be long dead by now and the ring taken. But, you know, end of the world, big deal, right? So, you know, he's imagining the worst capital W in every way, and then he gets to the Shire, finds everything looking normal, talks to Gaffer Gamgee and, you know, the arrival of the Nazgul in Bag End, the very thing that has been his nightmare scenario. I mean, how many times must Gandalf have played through the potential, like, what's going to happen when the Nazgul find Bag End, like eventually they're going to get there. Right. And so I can only imagine that the number of scripts that Gandalf has played out in his head about what's going to happen when the Nazgul get to Bag End and he gets there. Did he, did he run this one? You know, did he really imagine that nobody would notice (laughs) and the Gaffer Gamgee would possibly have forgotten about it by now. Right. Because it's so much less important than the Sackville Baggins is living in Bag End. Um, So, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's that's his relief has to be absolutely tremendous. Right. And, uh, you know, many words and few to the point is a very sort of indirect and and uh, and I think fairly comical uh, way to I mean, he he tells this. Leading up to Gaffer you know, like the way that his narrative you know about his terrible fear and his approach and his catching up from them behind it it ends up in what is essentially a crashing anticlimax right the crashing anticlimax of finding, yeah, yeah, no, the worst happened, but it you know nobody really noticed right it didn't really disturb anybody um but what a delightful anticlimax, right? What a what a what an almost unaccountable anticlimax. And he brings his own story to a similar kind of anticlimax. Um and um yeah, so Michael, I agree that perhaps uh his initial assumption might be that Frodo got the letter and left on time. Um but he does learn, um <laughs> right, Aranas. I agree. Uh, if Gandalf talked to Ted Sandyman, Ted Sandyman probably doesn't believe the stories about Black Riders, right? You know, yes, I'm sure that there are still many hobbits who doubted that there ever were any Black Riders in the Shire. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, look at where he goes from here. Oops, sorry. I can't abide changes, said he. Not at my time of life. And least, least of all, changes for the worst. Changes for the worst, he repeated many times. Worst is a bad word, I said to him, and I hope you do not live to see it. But amidst his talk, I gathered at last that Frodo had left Hobbiton less than a week before and that a black horseman had come to the hill the same evening. Then I rode on in fear. So you have, on the one hand anti-climax right the worst has happened and yet it doesn't didn't seem to be the disaster that he feared um and yet wait suspense isn't over right um now it seems likely that the black riders would have caught frodo on the road right there was frodo leaving hobbiton on foot and the black riders right there immediately behind him um and uh yeah, Sam says, and everyone at the council still has no idea who the gaffer is. Exactly. Exactly. Um yes, yes. Um Yeah. Um so um so yeah, why is he quoting here, Johannes? Again, I um this quotation I think is interesting. So his reference to what the gaffer like, to the gaffer's frame of mind, right? And, and what the gaffer said was already, uh, you know, I, we are talked about what that accomplished. But Johannes is right to say, like, he doesn't need to quote him, right? Um, many words and few to the point, you know, the comment about the shortcomings of his neighbors would have been enough. Um, but notice what he chooses to quote. There is apparently a wealth of options for him to have chosen from. The gaffer talked a lot in his conversation with Gandalf, right? So there were many potential quotes that he could have chosen, but he chose this one. I can't abide changes, not at my time of life, and least of all, changes for the worst. Um, uh, so, um, yeah, Emily says, that's Tolkien the storyteller breaking up a wall of text. Certainly one effect of it, no question. Uh, and maybe Gandalf the storyteller breaking up a wall of text as well. But it does seem to me a fairly conspicuous quotation, right? Um, And what is conspicuous about it is it's conspicuous for its dramatic irony, right? Here's Gandalf. Fearing changes for the worst. I mean, you want to talk about changes for the worst, right? Worst is a bad word. Uh, Worst is Sauron is already, like the ring is already on its way back to Sauron, and I'm going to try to, you know, and and, uh, we're about to start... A chase scene, right? Where, you know, on the back of Shadow Facts, I'm pursuing the ring wraiths, trying to catch them and what? I prize the ring back away from them. He already did not think that he could stand up to the Witch King. And now what? He's going to attack them and take the ring off him? I mean, what's he supposed to do? Um, so, uh, um, dramatic irony, as I say, right? Um, <clears throat> on the one hand, The gaffer is voicing exactly Gandalf's fears that changes for the worst, capital W, are indeed going to come upon the Shire. Right. Gandalf, of course, still hopes that the gaffer does not live to see the worst come. Right. Um, uh, But again, it's it's dramatic irony because the gaffer's words mean at least potentially mean so much more than he knows, right? So much more than we really have um, uh, have reason to think. Um, at uh, at the time that he says it, um, he has no idea what Gandalf's fears are, right? He has no idea what the actual worst would look like. To him, the Sackville Bagginses moving in to Bag End—that's cha- not mo- notice—not changes for the worse, right? It's not just things that have gotten worse. Things, this is the worst, right? It 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 could not get worse than this, right? Having Lobelia as a neighbor, this is this is the nadir of his life experience, right? He does not think it's going to get worse than this. Now, of course, this is also ironic in other ways, right? This is especially ironic if we consider this from the point of view of the entirety of the text, right? And that is, um, uh. We know that, of course, even in the Gaffer, the Gaffer is, in fact, going to live to see worse, not not the worst, right? Uh, Gandalf's hope that the Gaffer does not live to see the worst is going to be borne out, right? Uh, you know, the ring will not be reclaimed by Sauron, and darkness is not going to fall uh, over the entire continent. So that's good. Um, but, of course, we know it's going to happen in the Shire, and we know it's going to happen in Bagshot Row, right? You know, what the whatever... Whatever Lobelia is doing to make herself unpleasant, whatever Lotho's plans for the improvement of the neighborhood are, which are undoubtedly the things that are leading the gaffer to say that things have come to the worst already, um, we know it's going to get much worse in the Shire, right? Um, uh <laughs> Arunas points out that Sharky's men do remove lobelia as a neighbor, so it wasn't all bad well, but come on now, uh, I think it's pretty clear that Sharky's men and do end up being worse neighbors even than lobelia um but um uh uh but yeah, yeah, so um, so i michael i I agree it's not that um it's not that. It's not that he's wrong to say that, like, what is happening is worse. Like, there's no question. Like, what, what, you know, we will see a little bit down the road, right? We will see what Lotho is doing to the Shire. And uh, that is no question. Changes for the worse are definitely happened, but not the worst. Um, It is a sign of his own sheltered life um in the big picture you know sheltered in the in the in the in the, in the larger picture of how things go in area i mean even thinking back to the refugees on the road uh in uh, you know uh, with, you know under the pall of the fear of the of of the nazgul right they know uh, think of you know the gaffer's experience compared to theirs you know and his view of what the worst is compared to what theirs must be right so there are lots of ways in which we can see the gaffer being, you know, sort of sheltered and Gandalf kind of acknowledging that. Um, so, again, there are lots of ways in which we can hear irony uh, in his words, but in the immediate context, the most important piece of irony here uh, is um, the way in which his words may or may not, from Gandalf's current state of knowledge, when Gandalf shows up and is, I doubt, with overmuch patience Um, bearing with the... I don't think that Gandalf is going to, you know, put the fear of fire into Gaffer Gamgee, but he's got to be, you know, uh, getting a little bit (laughs) impatient with the Gaffer, right? Uh, Given his um, uh, very great uh, and understandable anxiety. Um, But um, uh, anyway, um, so yeah, Gilganthir says if Gandalf has a watch, he'd be tapping it. Um, yeah, he's uh, certainly trying to move the conversation along. Um, but um, uh, anyway, uh, here's Gandalf trying to get an answer to the question, right? Have the Black Riders found Frodo? Has the worst happened? Is Frodo dead? Of course, is Sam dead, right? Uh very relevant to Gaffer Gamgee um, if only Gaffer... But the Gaffer doesn't even know to be asking that question. right? Um, uh, And so again to me the central irony of the Gaffer's words are the Gaffer doesn't know Gandalf doesn't know how relevant it is. Right? Have in fact changes for the worst already begun. Have the Black Riders caught up to Frodo and Sam. So we're getting this dramatic version. Gandalf is giving us a dramatically paced version. Compressed, yes. He's following his uh, um, his um, uh, pledge to speed things up a bit um, uh, in his in the later portion of his narrative here. He's not telling it in the same detail as he told his encounter with Saruman, um, but he is nevertheless giving us a pretty dramatically paced version of his own um his own emotional responses, his fear as he approaches, uh, his relief upon meeting the gaffer and it seems like things are still okay, and then the immediate return of fear. Oh man, you're telling me on the same day they arrived at Bag End on the day, like Frodo only left a few hours before the Nazgul showed up? Oh man, they they, they must have caught him by now. Um and uh uh and yet and now here's the gaffer saying i can't abide changes for the worst and what must be going through gandalf's head when he's hearing the gaffer saying this changes for the worst worst is a bad word i mean imagine his tone there worst is a bad word and i hope you do not i hope you don't live to see it he doesn't want to why should he tell him right why should he say to the gaffer you don't know from worst gaffer do you realize that that black rider is an emissary of Mordor who was out to hunt and probably kill your son. Maybe that within twelve hours of when he left. Um, uh, so uh, that's you know, he's not going to say that to the gaffer, right? That's not what Gandalf. He's not going to try to. You're not going to spread despair. That's not his. That's that. That's not his bag. Um, but but you can feel the weight of. His sentence, Gandalf's sentence, worst is a bad word, and I hope you do not live to see it. Um, his attempting to make light of it, uh, his, you know, not bringing down the spirit of uh, of the gaffer. Him still, like, you know, let's, uh, you know, have a little uh, uh, perspective uh, on the whole awkward neighbors thing uh and i know it's more than awkward neighbors the the sackville bagginses are now his um i mean they're the lords of the manor now and you know he's so they're, they're going to have more control over over him and his life in bagshot row than just annoying neighbors would but um um yeah yeah um uh Yeah, but J.J., exactly. He sincerely does hope that the gaffer doesn't ever live to see it. He doesn't want the gaffer ever to even know about what the worst could be. Not only does he not want the worst to befall the gaffer, um, he does hope that he never lives to see it, hear about it, suspect it. Um, Exactly, J.J., as you say, like the rangers protecting the Shire without thanks or even the knowledge uh, of the locals. Um... Yeah, yeah. Captain Moe was uh, wondering if Gandalf uh, does, or sorry, does the gaffer know or assume how deep Sam is in the doings of his betters? Well, I think the issue there, uh, Captain, is that he doesn't know how complicated the affairs of that particular better is, right? I mean, he knows that Sam is going to do for Mr. Frodo. He has no idea what Mr. Frodo is doing and what that... And what, um, you know, uh, Sam is going as a, you know, a manservant uh, to Frodo. He's going out to be his, uh, you know, his, uh, um, he's going to go do for Mr. Frodo. He's going to be his, 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 his manservant out there in, in, uh, in, in Buckland. Um, of course, the kaffir has no idea that a journey to Mordor for Frodo is in the offing and that that's where, uh, that's where uh, Sam's service is going to take him, um, which, of course, we can see delightfully. Right. Later on. Right. Remembering ahead, of course, to the gaffer, uh, expressing the hope that Sam is given satisfaction. Right. Which is exactly what you would say. Um, you know, had he been valeting for Mr. Frodo in his house in, uh, you know, in Buckland uh, for the last few months. Right. Um, you know, did he did he did he do a good job around the house? Or has he embarrassed himself in the garden, is he remembering to trim the, you know, the hedges like that's you know, it's uh, he has no idea. Of the context, right? So even after the fact, he doesn't really ever seem to process the full context. Um, and so he certainly has no idea now. Uh, <laughs> now, Michael, I agree with you that Buckland may as well be Mordor from the gaffer's perspective. Uh, yes, yes, certainly in that sense. If you ask the gaffer, you know, are you worried about your son having gone off on a dangerous quest into lands unknown? Uh, yeah, he would be like, yeah, no, I I fret about it all the time, right? Thinking about how queer folk are over there in Buckland, no question um but um but, but, yeah, but yeah, uh, Rachel, I agree with you, by the way, that Sam, of course, doesn't have any betters but uh, but you understand you know what people mean, what the gaffer means when he says that, though, of course, needless to say, privately, I agree with you, um uh, yeah, and Matt, you're absolutely right to say, gaffer, the gaffer has no idea. When he talks about you know getting mixed up in the affair of your betters, he's talking about the Bagginses, right? But of course, he's not even envisioning that you know Sam is going to be interacting with Elrond, half Elvid and Galadriel, and you know uh, the King of Gondor, and you know I, yes, uh, the um, the there's there's no question that from a social standpoint. Sam is going to be very much getting mixed up in the affairs uh, of his betters, and he is going to land himself in trouble that is way too big for him. Um, Except, of course... It's not, you know, he gets landed in it. remember let's let's make sure that we remember that quotation. We remember the gaffer's words about getting um, uh, getting mixed up in the affairs of your betters when we get to the stairs of Kiratunggul, and we think about Sam's reflections on stories and getting landed in things, uh, because I think that that's actually a really interesting connection to make. Um, uh, yeah, yeah um. Yeah. Okay. Cool. And yes, Lady Lakata, I certainly agree. Sam becomes one of the betters by the time he returns. He, ha- in Saruman's word, they've grown. Right. Um. Unsurprisingly, the gaffer is oblivious to this. Right. Uh, you wouldn't expect the gaffer to see it, not only because he's mostly blind, uh, but uh, because Sam's his son. Right. Uh, but uh, but yes, everybody including, it seems Rosie, uh, has, uh, um, I think you look fine, Sam, uh, has perceived that Sam has risen in the world, right, as his being elected mayor certainly is going to show. There's no question that he is one of the great in the Shire very quickly upon his return. So there's no question that uh, uh, Sam Gamgee has socially climbed uh, uh, very swiftly by the end there, um, yeah, whereas Kurtzmas is right. The gaffer is focused on what is most important, uh, which is his missing waistcoat. Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah. Oh, man, Astro Gypsy, that line about the ironmongery is one of my very favorite lines in the entire Lord of the Rings. Um, uh, oh, man, I just love the gaffer. Um, anyway, yeah, uh, Bjarne Sonner, I think so. Um, that's actually a really great trivia question, right? Where exactly does Sam lose his waistcoat? And I think the answer is in the barrel. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, I, I think. So the good news, Gaffer, is that the his West. It's, it's not far. It's not far away, but um, yeah, it uh, it might as well be. Um, yeah, okay. But anyway, now where has this emotional roller coaster brought Gandalf? Amidst his talk, I gathered that Frodo. I gathered at last that Frodo had left Hobbiton less than a week before, and that a black horseman had come to the hill the same evening. Then I rode on in fear. So once again, fear, right? Um, And his, you know, we've had the the many stages of Gandalf's increasing fear, and this has to be the worst, right? He has now heard queer testimony that, you know, Frodo and uh, the. Frodo and the Nazgul were... I mean, he does he not even know the truth of it, right? He doesn't even know that Frodo came within literally yards, right? I mean, he was, like, within earshot of the Nazgul when the Nazgul showed up. I mean, they were literally there at the same time. Um, I came to Buckland and found it in uproar, as busy as a hive of ants that has been stirred with a stick. I came to the house at Crick Hollow, and it was broken open and empty. But on the threshold there lay a cloak that had been Frodo's. Then for a while, hope left me, and I did not wait to gather news, or I might have been comforted. But I rode on the trail of the riders. Um, to just pause, I know I'm breaking it up a little bit more than I usually do, but I want to kind of follow the different episodes in Gandalf's highly compressed narrative here. Um, notice again a piece of irony. Um, why? why is there a cloak that had been Frodo's? lying on the threshold um, what is it what is the direct cause of Gandalf's despair um, yeah the the ruse fatty decoying for Frodo um, the 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 plan that they you know the, the the conspirators plan right fatty playing his role of pretending to be frodo going out in frodo's cloak and being seen um, he uh uh this is this directly leads to uh gandalf's despair ironically um, um yeah fatty does make it of course yes we do remember fatty uh fatty bolger uh uh will go on to a, 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 an excellent uh career as a uh guerrilla resistance leader uh so uh, well a short lived career as a guerrilla <laughs> Resistance leader will spend most of his time in prison. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, Aranas, exactly. The conspiracy does work a little too well. Um, um, he, there, then for a while, hope left me. That is Gandalf's, exp- this is Gandalf's lowest point, right? When he left Bag End, at the end of his conversation with the gaffer, he fears the worst, Right? They were here at almost exactly the same time. Frodo was leaving on foot with no head start and probably, even worse, no warning. Right? No idea what was even chasing him or even that he needed to be careful on the road yet. Right? I mean, what are the odds that Frodo w- would have escaped the Black Riders? And then he gets to Buckland and what does he find? Um, the worst, right? The Nazgul were there. They knew where to go. They broke in. Um, they seem to have... All the evidence suggest that Frodo was taken. Um, um, one other issue here. One other interesting thing is the description of Buckland. Again, thinking of the conversation that we were having before about the effect of the Nazgul on the hobbits, Buckland is the one place where we do see a public effect. Right, uh, We do see that the public has been... Um, uh, 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 influenced by the Nazgul, um, but notice that it's um, uh, notice that it's not um. It's not fear. He doesn't describe terror. It's busy as a hive of ants that has been stirred with a stick, um. And if you've ever stirred a hive of ants with a stick, they don't look. Terrified, <laughs> they look angry, right? Um, uh, yes, Marielle, they always strike me as angry as well. That's 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 precisely it. Um, uh, exactly. Um, <laughs> Arden Kranz says, I can imagine the alarmed Bucklanders attacking Gandalf when he suddenly rides up on his huge horse. They don't seem to. Um, we don't know. Does he say the time of day when he arrives? He doesn't. Um, yeah angran trying to restore order uh uh titanamaki that's exactly uh um uh uh that's i think a very good character characterization of the uh the hive of ants that's been stirred with a stick there um uh yeah yeah um yeah um Let's see. Um, Yeah, interesting. Tim Watley, you're right. Uh, He says, Remembering ahead, the Crick Hollow cloak sort of parallels the mouth of Sauron presenting the Mithril Coat at the Black Gate. That is a really interesting parallel, isn't it? Um, The clear evidence that disaster has happened, which seems to indicate... seems to give positive evidence for despair. Right? Abandon hope. Um, there is no more reason to go on hoping. All the evidence shows just as at the Black Gate, all the evidence shows that Frodo's been captured, the ring must have been taken, it's all over. Right? Um, so here, the, uh, the discarded cloak serves exactly the same, uh, exactly the same purpose now, we don't hear about any encounters between Gandalf and the hobbits and the, 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 the hobbits in Buckland, uh, given that it's um, as busy as a hive of ants that's been stirred with a stick. I can't imagine he got all the way into Buckland and out without anybody seeing him. Um, it seems to me, most likely, a testimony to Gandalf's frame of mind that he doesn't. Remember, the evidence is he was stopping along the way north to ask, to speak to people. It's possible that he was just, like, sensing their fear as he was riding north. Can't rule that out. But I suspect he did stop to ask questions of refugees along the road north uh, to find out, to to basically from their testimony be able to figure out um, how he was gaining um, on uh, on the Nazgul. But, um, uh, but anyway, so he... Um, uh he sorry, lost my train of thought there for a second. Um anyway, he he stops to interview people on the way north, but he doesn't stop to ask anybody. He does not stay, he did not he does not wait to gather news. But again, I can't believe that he got in and out unseen. Um, not when everybody you know, certainly as you were suggest as I forget who it was, but as one of you was suggesting, um any horsemen coming, riding into Buckland at that time within hours, right, of the black riders being chased out. And remember, they rode down uh, the hobbits at the gate. So there have been injuries. Right. I mean, there I mean, we don't know that there were any fatalities, but um, there have been, you know, hobbits were injured uh, in that incident. Right. So the whole uh, and then, of course, like who knows, you know, if Fatty Bulger is still lying somewhere in terrified prostration. Um Uh, He's the only hobbit that we see who has that reaction, but he um, um, is—well, he still has a lot of growing to do, for one thing, as we saw evidence of that before from his timidity with regard to the old um, forest—relative timidity. Um, But but at the same time, he also was under a much more serious—remember, the spiritual barrage— that the nazgûl were levying at that house before they approached right i mean there was a uh, there was some uh, ar- the artillery of terror was being employed there before they broke in so fatty bolger certainly received a-, a much stronger dose of nazgûl uh, than uh, either farmer maggot or gaffer gamji did um but exactly, as evil Dr. Cannon was just saying, he got the Nazgul stare down during the night. Absolutely. Um so um uh so yeah, and, and Sam exactly. They they were conducting a siege and he was completely alone. Yeah, exactly in the dark. Um yeah, no, I, I there's all kinds of and again though though again I think we do have to see in fairness, um uh there is a seed of courage buried deeply uh within the most stay at home hobbit in the Shire. But Fatty Bulger is stay-at-home is literally what he is. He's the one who chose to stay at home, right? The one who chose to stop behind because he was more scared of the old forest than of anything that he knew of, which he would not be able to say for for very long, right? Um, But nevertheless, um, he is not... um, uh, If... um, And here I'm quoting that paragraph from the Barrow Downs. If Frodo is neither very fat nor very timid, Fatty Bulger is both. He is both very fat and very timid. Um, And yet again, um, he still escapes. Right. You know, so it, it's still a win for Fatty Bulger, as we talked about before. Um, exactly. Uh, just as you were saying, Mad Violinist, he didn't freeze. He engaged in a tactical retreat in moderate in moderately good order. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I, I think he does perfectly well, especially given his um, uh, his 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 resources. Um. So, yeah, no, I, I don't want to I'm not trying to diss Fatty Bulger. I'm just saying the evidence is he is not. On the upper end of most bold, I don't think, uh, I, I, I think that he falls short, uh, you know, of in as far as uh, stalwartness goes, you know, certainly from uh Farmer Maggot, uh, and uh, uh probably from Gaffer Gamgee, too. Um, but uh, okay. Um, <laughs> Scott, I like that. Uh, Scott says artillery of terror. Sounds like a Swedish metal band. Uh, that would be a good band name. Um, uh, anyway. Okay. Uh, so, uh, anyway, the point is, um, there still is not fear, right? The, the, that the general, like Taking the temperature of the countryside there in Buckland, they are not um, oppressed with terror. They are angry. Um, but again, they sh- surely, surely they would have noticed when Gandalf comes galloping in on Shadow Facts. Maybe they don't say anything, or maybe they let him pass because he's Gandalf and they recognize him. Um, uh, maybe, but I think it's more likely. When Gandalf says, I didn't wait to gather news. Um, I think in, in, in readings I've done myself in the past before, excuse me, I think in readings myself I've done in the past there, I've always kind of assumed that I did not wait to gather news meant, you know, had I gone down the pub and asked around, I'd have learned what happened, but I didn't bother, you know, to stop in at the local pub and, and ask questions. Um, but I think there's more to it than that, right? If, if Buckland, Is in an uproar, as busy as a hive of ants that's been stirred with a stick, there is zero percent chance that Gandalf could possibly come in, you know, through the gate in the north, get all the way down to Crick Hollow, and get all the way back and out the gate without encountering a single hobbit to have a conversation. I think, therefore, what it must mean is that Gandalf ignored them all. Um... Gandalf just ignored them. Just rode past. I I don't doubt some of them hailed him. Some of them said, "Hey, you know." Some of them maybe tried to stop him. Um, He didn't ride them down. You know, Shadowfax didn't trample any 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 Bucklanders on the way in and out. I feel quite confident in saying. Um, And yet, Gandalf clearly didn't stop. Now, this is understand. I'm not criticizing Gandalf for this. Bjarne Soner, as you say, Gandalf is in maximum, uh, maximum hurry mode. Absolutely. Um, uh, he um, if he was in a bad state when he arrived, right? I mean, remember he is, his fear is at its height as he is coming in to Buckland, right? Fearing to find the worst confirmed. Then he finds the worst confirmed, right? And then uh, he is now, he, for a while, hope left me that's a serious statement gandalf is first in maximum terror and he is not going to stop to ask questions he's going straight uh to to see with his own eyes and then um he is in despair gandalf is in despair for a while hope left him gandalf doesn't do despair very often Right. But he believes that he has just seen clear evidence that the ring has been taken and Frodo probably taken as well. Um, So. And remember, that's an important thing. He suspects not that Frodo has been slaughtered, but that Frodo has been captured, that he's been taken. So. He despairs despairs of being able to find and help Frodo before the Black Riders could catch him. It seems now pretty obvious that they did catch him, right? Now, what can he do? Make all possible haste in pursuit of them to try to catch them and um, uh, to try to catch them and uh, uh, rescue Frodo, if he possibly can? Um, So, no. So he's not going to stop it. So as he's riding back out, doubtless again you know uh, ant like bucklanders right are going to be noticing him commenting on him shouting at him hailing him um and he's he he does not have time to explain right um he is off after frodo um he doesn't want to explain and he certainly doesn't have time um so um uh, yeah yeah and tarlonio you're right gandalf versus all the nazgul to rescue frodo that seems to be where where he's at right and and remember all hope left him he doesn't think he could have withstood the nine you know under the best of circumstances um if they all came against him right him going against them what are his odds there you know so uh yeah it's um it's pretty bleak but he um uh he but he, clearly you know he's going to he's He's gonna do that there, um, yeah, yeah, and you're right, Rowan, that only fatty knows what really happened anyway and and i I do agree I suspect that uh he Gandalf that is would have had to stick around maybe a bit longer uh before he made fatty bolger um uh, coherent um but um yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Evil Dr. Cannon is remembering the sheaves of lightning. For those of you who haven't read uh, The History of the Lord of the Rings, what a wonderful study. Um, And if you're ever interested in it, I know The History of Middle-Earth is not always the most gripping read, um, but we did some really fun discussions of those three volumes, The Return of the Shadow, uh, The Treason of Isengard, and The War of the Ring um, in... uh, uh, in the Mythgard Academy. So, if you go to the Signum University uh, YouTube page and look at the Mythgard Academy playlist, you'll find the playlists for those uh, those books. Um, really, we really fun as we discussed our way um, uh, through all that stuff. But boy, um, one version of the of this Gandalf's arrival, um, we originally had Gandalf unleashing sheaves of lightning, like arriving when uh, the Nazgul were there. Uh, and hurling sheaves of lightning uh at uh, uh at the the Nazgul, We got a throwdown uh between Gandalf coming in. I mean it was uh it was some there, there was some there was some epic stuff there uh in one of the earlier versions. Um so uh that was um that was pretty uh <laughs> and yes yes we did <laughs> we did we do also get badass Frodo in the Battle of Cotton Farm. Yeah Frodo taking no prisoners in the scouring of the Shire. In an early version. Um, But uh, yes, J.J. is remembering struck by lightning, struck by lightning. And J.J., I have to think that Tolkien was himself remembering Bilbo's exclamation when that happened. No question. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, And Gilgonthar, you are so right that people would have roasted uh, Jackson if he had added a scene like that. You're, you're, you're completely correct. Uh, there are lots of times when, uh, I have that reaction looking at some of Tolkien's other ideas and original ideas and thinking, man, uh, if they tried to do this in an adaptation, people would be up in arms when of course it was just, it was, uh, Tolkien's, eight. now not his final idea, right? He, uh, he didn't go that direction in the end, but, um, uh, anyway, um, uh, Marion asks, what, what is a sheaf of lightning? <clears throat> no idea. I assume it's like a big cluster of, like a, a sheaf as in like a, a sheaf of grain, I think, right? So like imagine if like, if a lightning bolt right, or a shaft of lightning is like one stalk of grain, a sheaf of lightning is like a whole like cluster of lightning or something. I, I I don't I can't, I can't even imagine it, but it sounds awesome. That's all I know. Um, um, yeah, yeah, I, I, I just, yeah, exactly. Emily says, I picture it like Zeus holding a quiver, uh, like a, a quiver full of lightnings. Uh, yeah, something like that. Something like that. (laughs) Michael says, if I, if you want to see a sheaf of lightning, go to Iowa in August. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, I uh, <laughs> I I I would be interested to see that. Um uh yeah, Lady Lakata, thinking similarly I think says a uh, sheet lightning instead of a bolt of lightning. Yes, very uh very very possibly. Um uh yeah. Um so um <laughs> yeah, Toronius says I'd like to see it too from far away. Yeah, probably so. But okay, anyway, so here's Gandalf um Galloping out, ignoring all the house so not just, you know, not seeking people out, but clearly ignoring the natives, you know, uh, slaloming around frenzied hobbits as he's uh, headed out of Buckland uh, because he's just got to follow the black riders. He can see where they went. He can tell what happened uh, and he is on his way uh, to follow them. So what does he do next? What does he do next? I rode on the trail of the riders. It was hard to follow, for it went many ways, and I was at a loss. So it seems that he can in some way follow the trail of the riders, like he can sense the riders. I don't know, um, you know, whether it's like the spiritual sense, like they can detect our presence and we can detect theirs. We're thinking back to Aragorn's words on Weathertop to the Hobbits. Um, I think that that's what, you know, that Gandalf's, you know senses are sufficiently you know his spiritual senses are sufficiently keen that he can you know smell the evidence of their passing say he can sense the evidence of their passing um, that I think is uh, uh, is is likely, but they split up they split up he doesn't know um, where to, and which one had Frodo he doesn't know um, it went many ways, and I was at a loss but it seemed to me that one or two had ridden towards Brie. And that way I went, for I thought of words that might be said to the innkeeper. Butterbur, they call him, thought I. If this delay was his fault, I will melt all the butter in him. I will roast the old fool over a slow fire. He expected no less, and when he saw my face, he fell down flat and began to melt on the spot. Um, uh, remember that this is Gandalf in despair. Gandalf believes that Frodo has just been captured and this is not just like you are responsible for the, uh, the death and probable worse than death uh, of my friend but like Butterbur you are actually responsible for the end of the world right? like with, you know uh, a second darkness is going to fall over all of Middle Earth and it's going to be the fault of Barlam Butterbur because you couldn't send a stupid letter Right, this is—you've doomed us all, exactly, Aranas. Um, this is um, uh, Gandalf in desperation, but also, again, but also in despair. He's in desperation because he's trying to follow them. He's trying to pursue them. He, you know, he still has some kind of desperate hope, I guess, of catching them, rescuing Frodo, seeing what he can do. Um, but. Um, uh, but but he's also hope has left him, right Um, now, Carita, you're not wrong Carita says, whose fault is that exactly, who trusted the fat innkeeper hmm?" yeah, yeah and, but of course when you know that something like that is also your own fault does that make you more or less cranky with other people, <laughs> right? Um uh yeah, I I think that he does know that uh this is his own you know, think of Saruman's hard words, you know, think of all the you know, um if um if if the gaffer sometimes if uh, Sam rather sometimes recalls the gaffer's hard names for him, how is Gandalf going to be recalling you know uh, Saruman's uh, uh, scornful sneering words uh, to him, which all um, look like they were kind of justified, right? Um, who is the fool now, right? Um, his how much because Karina, I would think it would go beyond this. Right. I mean, it would go beyond um, realizing that, like, OK, like, oh, man, like especially with the whole Orthanc thing, how that turned out, like how many times must I mean, kick it goes way beyond kicking yourself. Right. Um, yeah. I, In retrospect, bringing the letter myself, just going myself to Frodo and getting really, yeah, in retrospect, it's not even it can't even be understated how obvious it is in retrospect that he should have done that. Um, um, but, um, is Gandalf subject to the very human temptation, you know, the very natural psychological temptation to, uh, uh, project some of that frustration away from himself and onto who is culpable, right? I mean, you know, perfectly fair to blame Butterbur. Butterbur did fail at, at his job. Um, that I think is, uh um got to be uh very very tempting um yeah yeah um johannes says if the Nazgul had frodo wouldn't all of them go straight to mordor why would they go to Bree and why would they split up? Well Johannes they'd already split up um so he doesn't know why they would have split up um are they able to I don't think the evidence suggests to me that the Nazgul can—I I, I think it's pretty clear that the Nazgul cannot telepathically communicate with each other. If they did, why would they, you know, be emitting those horrible cries with words in them, right? They're communicating with each other when they're doing that. Um, uh, the Nazgul version of long-distance communication is not—is not—, um, uh, is not a telepathic, you know, sending or connection, uh, you know, empathic connection with each other. The Nazgul uh, long to ter- is like yelling really loud, <laughs> right? So they can't communicate with each other uh, long distance. Um, I don't think they know where they are. This is a, this is what happens when you split the party, right? You know, this is why the Witch King. Um, also, clearly, in retrospect, I think the Witch King um, is not going to look back with approbation upon all of his own decisions either uh, during this whole sequence, right? Um, so, um... Uh... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yes. The, the, um... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, Johannes, that's what I'm talking about. I'm saying the, um... The Nazgul in um... Leaving Buckland, um don't know where all the other Nazgul are, right? Um, So, um, and Brand and I agree, Gandalf is not very much paying attention to what the Black Riders are doing due to his grief. They should be making straight for Mordor, not going off in all directions as if they're still trying to find Frodo. Yes, but also as if, I mean, there are lots of ways that you could interpret it. Right? Are they trying to throw off pursuit? Do they suspect do they do they sense his approach? Are they trying to throw off pursuit? That's possible, right? I mean, if uh if the witch king thinks that Gandalf has any hope of actually pulling off a daring Frodo rescue, um, uh and ring re snatch, then uh then he would uh uh you know hide his trail by scattering his people and meeting up somewhere else. Uh so um uh so yeah, I mean I think that um it's from Gandalf's point of view, all we can tell is that they split up for some reason. And again, remember his frame of mind, right? His frame he is in despair. He is in despair. This is Gandalf at one of I mean he said that being an orthonk, he's never been uh, you know, uh in uh in such a a, a fix before. He's in a worse like mentally. Emotionally, spiritually, Gandalf's in a worse place right here, right? He thinks that he has lost—he's trying to do the one thing that maybe he can do to try to recover the situation. And the enemy seems to be doing the one thing that's going to prevent him doing it, which is splitting up and dividing their trail. And now he doesn't even know how to follow them, right? What is he supposed to do? How can he possibly uh, catch, catch them? And so what does he do? in um he is motivated he's he's got he's going to follow the trail of some of the riders um i mean he might as well follow one of the divided trails right um so he follows the one that will take him to brie because he has a secondary mission to brie um and that is to roast butterbur over a slow fire that is he seems to be interested in an opportunity to vent some of these very negative feelings uh, that he is, um, um, uh, that he is clearly experiencing at the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it surely must have been a horrible day. Uh, Captain Mo, I certainly agree with you. Um, yeah, yeah, um, no. And and I agree with you. Um, the Nazgul, the, all the evidence is that they are not going to take the ring from Frodo. They're going to take Frodo with the ring uh, to Mordor. And I suspect that Gandalf suspects that, um, which I suppose would be, again, the only nugget of hope, because he wouldn't have to save Frodo and the ring. He just have to save Frodo and the ring with him. Right. I mean, if he could separate Frodo from the Nazgul, then he would have recovered things, right? Then things would be, well, not in total despair, though still pretty bad. Um, Kurtzimus is wondering what they know of the wizards. I don't know, but I've got to think... I've got to think it likely that if Gandalf can sense their presence, they can sense his. And if he can sense theirs more keenly, than your average hobbit can sense it enough to enable him to to track them uh, by sense. Um, I suspect that he believes that they can sense him coming uh, from further away than um, they could sense, you know, like if Farmer Maggot were on their trail, which would be bad news for them, of course, but not quite so much bad news as this. Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, Mad Violinist here, uh, you are right that um, the evidence of the dialogue at the gates of uh, uh, at the gates of Minas Tirith and at the Black Gate suggest that Gandalf is well known uh, to the Nazgul and uh, to Sauron certainly. So, um, um, but again, even if they don't know, even if they don't can't tell it's him, even if they're not like, wait, you know do they have to sniff? I don't know. Uh, you know, if there's, they, 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 you know, they sniff the spiritual air with their invisible noses and, you know, do they say like smells like Gandalf or do they just like some power approaches? Right. You know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Do they know it's Gore when they withdraw from the bridge, uh, that is, you know, run away like frightened children. Uh, or do they, um, just sense the arrival of something that they don't want to mess with, um, and so vacate. Um, but, um, uh, but anyway, that's, um, the point is, I think that Gandalf, my suspicion is that Gandalf would know that they could, as they seem to, in fact, become aware of him, right? They, um, without even before they directly encounter each other, Gandalf and the Nazgul. They seem to be aware of each other in the wilds, like, you know, between Bree and, uh, you know, in the greater Weathertop region, right? Um, They're both aware of each other's presence, it seems. Um, uh, Yeah. (laughs) Brandon suspects that Gandalf would smell like pipeweed and gunpowder. Maybe. I'm not sure about the gunpowder. I would think, you know, maybe gun, uh, you know, pipeweed and... uh, um, but, you know, maybe I know you're thinking of the fireworks would certainly which certainly would hold. Um, yeah, perhaps so. Perhaps so. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, pipe weed and sulfur. Yeah, maybe maybe so. Maybe so. Um, yeah. Uh, Scott, that's a really good point about the mouth of Sauron. We'll discuss that in a little while. Uh, we'll we'll get there. We'll we'll get to the black gate someday. Most of us will live to see it too. Um. Yeah. Good. Okay. Um. So let's see. Where was I? Train of thought. Oh, Butterbur. Okay. I think that Gandalf kind of means it um when he is relating Gandalf's skill as a storyteller i think is considerable in this passage you remember earlier on of course we were admiring the rhetorical skill of Boromir and his tact in diplomacy um <laughs> maybe less so in the interrupting but uh, having interrupted he uh, then proceeds to be di- uh, to be diplomatic um but um i uh, So um, I think that Gandalf's skill as a narrator is really on display in this section in particular. Um, He manages to convey a very great deal of, without making the story about himself, right? I mean, he could use, he could spend the whole time just describing his own internal state, Right, Gandalf could tell a version of this story, in which he's just being like, and then I felt this, and then I was going, and I was thinking this had probably happened, and I was like, no, oh, but wait, maybe yes, and but then I saw this, and then I was like, oh man, and then I was right. He he could tell the story that way, right? But he doesn't tell the story that way. Um, instead, the way that he uses, as we said, the references to the Gaffer and the quotation from the Gaffer and uh, the the way that he evokes all of those different. Emotions. I and mean, he, he does successfully convey this was this 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 period, you know, this uh, this sequence of events has got to be pretty high on the list of most stressful and emotionally dynamic moments in Gandalf's 2000 year career. Right. Um, there cannot have been too many days in which. Gandalf has experienced. I mean, you know, I'm not saying none. There are some others that probably rank up there. You know, his time in Dol Guldur can't have uh, been... You know, I'm sure there were some ups and downs there, and, uh, and you know, that was, uh, that was touch and go, as Gandalf might say. Um, but, you know, the moment when he discovers Frodo's cloak and believes that he has seen evidence with his own eyes that the ring has been taken by the Nazgul, um, that's... Um, that's that's bad right i mean that is that is this is a serious low point and and he conveys that and he conveys that not by saying again and here's how i felt but um he gives another quotation but here it's a quotation of his own thought and again not directly commenting on how he felt but instead just expressing um in almost a kind of confession right but a but also while building dramatic tension as well, right? Because, of course, he's building up to another turning point in the story. Yet another, like when he met, saw the gaffer for the first time and realized nothing worse had happened than the Sackville Baggins as it moved in as far as he was concerned. Um, he then is about to have another moment of happy realization when he meets Butterbur, right? Um, so, um, uh Yeah yeah um, exactly green great dragon there's gonna be another moment of you catastrophe now he's had up and, uh, an up and down day right he's already had a you catastrophe which then bottomed out uh, right after that um, he's about to get another one which is still gonna be open-ended right he's still not gonna know what's gonna happen but he's about to be much more uh, enduringly reassured than he was from his talk with Gaffer Gamji. but how does he set that up how does he build the tension for that by confessing his own um uh violent thoughts right his own uh, um uh, uh what's um uh, what's the phrase um uh violent ideations towards parliament <laughs> butterbur here right um the, when he talks to Butterbur, yes, is what I'm talking about about the, uh, the, did I say if I said Weathertop, I didn't mean it um, he'll get to Weathertop later, but that's 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 not what we're talking about yet um, uh, Butterbur, they call him, if this delay was his fault, I will melt all the butter in him, I will roast the old fool over a slow fire he expected no less, and when he saw my face he fell down flat and began to melt on the spot um That's, you know, he still builds this moment of suspense. Did he do something horrible to Butterbur? Um, you know, it's um, it's not that he doesn't deserve it at all, but, uh, you know, that would be bad. And Arden Cran, of course, I was thinking of exactly that same line. I put the fear of fire into him, right? Yeah. Um, the use, the actual practical use of fire... Um, on a victim, right, in order to... I mean, he's done that, right? He's confessed that. Um, I'd... That's already kind of dubious, as we discussed, right? This... For him to vent his negative feelings by afflicting Butterbur, by hopefully not literally melting him, um, but, you know... Uh, I will roast the old fool over a slow fire, metaphorically, we hope, um, uh, you know, but, um, um, but anyway, yeah. And then of course, Gerthwin, exactly as you say, Butterbur ends up restoring his hope. Right. Absolutely. That's of course the sudden turn, which Gandalf is building into the story, right? That we're, that we're sort of getting to there. Um, Yeah, yeah. And J.J., I agree. He thought that Frodo was taken and everything was all but lost. Uh, There is nothing but a a desperate, um, you know, the most desperate of hopes remaining that he can, A, find, B, catch, and C, you know, steal Frodo from the Nazgul at that point. Um, And um, uh, so you could say, well, he could be forgiven for, you know, succumbing to these kinds of feelings, it would still be a bad look. It would still be a bad look, and somebody—I forget—somebody forget, um, somebody from uh, earlier on was saying that uh, you get a little bit of a glimpse of what could happen if Gandalf had claimed the ring, right? You know, it's—and um, I think that's a really interesting reflection on this. You know, I, how serious is he? Was he actually going to—to—to—you uh, know? Uh, punitively torture Butterbird to death when he got to Bree if he found that all of his fears were, you know, again, reconfirmed. You know, I don't know that he was literally contemplating that. But remember, Gandalf does not trust himself. I mean, that is, he passes the test, but, um, you know, he's not going to, he does not take it upon himself to become the ring bearer, right? Um, He uh, is still He knows that the ring would be dangerous in his possession. Um, And I do think it's possible from some of the things, even just from the two passages we were just talking about, right? His at least psychological, if not physical, torture of Gollum in order to get the story out of him. um, And his, uh, you know, uh, violent ideations towards Butterbur here. I think we can see a little bit of a glimpse. Um, There is... uh, there is a, a, a tendency in Gandalf that could be, even his, like, irascibility, right? Uh, even his grumpiness uh, sort of points to something that could get very, very much worse, right? If, uh, he, uh, if he became the ring lord. Um, uh, yes, you're right, Flamifer. He is not a tame wizard. Uh, we do get a glimpse of Gandalf the Grey uncloaked. Well, I don't know by uncloaked, but, like, what Gandalf the Grey, um, you know, corrupted might look like. Um, um, see, but Andrew, actually, that's not exactly true, it's sort of true, but we have to be careful there. Andrew, uh, on uh, um, uh, YouTube was saying that Gandalf is operating on an inhuman, angelic scale of power, morality, power, yes, in a sense, but remember, he has been incarnated, he has, um, he is not just an angelic figure manifesting a body he is his relationship with his, with his body is of a different kind than um like Melian, you know when she's marrying thingol um uh he fears for his life he uh, he's he is subject to the same temptations as mortals that's pretty clear um so uh i don't think his experiences in that now again is he Does he have power? Yes, but like so does Galadriel. So does it is not at all obvious to me that Gandalf is operating on a. A lot of people think Gandalf is a Maiar, and so therefore he is like way. You know, he is like a god. You know, uh, descended to move among the mortals and is. You know he outclasses like Galadriel and Elrond as much as Galadriel and Elrond outclass the Hobbits. Some people I know kind of have that. You know, having latched onto the idea of the Maiar and they're sort of, sort of angelic. Not a, Tolkien resists using that word for a reason, but, um. Uh. But anyway, they're sort of angelic status. A lot of people kind of grasping onto that have that idea of Gandalf. It's not true. Um, uh, first of all, that is both overplaying the status of the Astari. They they take on mortal being when they are incarnated. So they are peers with the mortals. Um, different, yes, but uh, but they're operating on their level. Also, it's underselling the Elf Lords. Um, even, I mean, in the First Age, remember, uh, the you're getting um you're getting elf lords going toe to toe with maiar all the time well not all the time but uh with some frequency um and they don't always lose uh so there's not a radical um hierarchy there between maiar and elf lords uh either um but um uh, anyway, <laughs> now Karina, you're right. Uh, Karina says the good news is it's hard to sound scary while repeating the word butter. Uh, yes, uh, making a the fact that he, in confessing this dark moment of you know uh, violent fantasies about torturing Butterbur to death, um, he is also. Making a dad pun on his name is got to be a good sign, right? That's got to be a good sign. Like we can tell, Gandalf has not lost it, right? This is Gandalf has not like gone straight over the edge here. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely not. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, good, Tony. I think that's a really good way to say it. The difference between the Maiar that we can still meet in Middle-earth, like Gandalf incarnated, like the Balrog, like Sauron, um, uh, like Saruman, who's incarnated also. Um, as Tony says, it's not a difference in degree, it's a difference in kind. Uh, there are differences in degree, but it's not, again, if if we think of them as a pure hierarchy of power, um, we're, we're, I think, being misled here. Um, but, um, anyway, okay. Um, but anyway, like I said, lots, lots of people, lots of people think that way. Um, but again, I th- the text really suggests, Gan- again, yes, he's different, and he's more different when he comes back. Um, uh, uh, Gandalf 2.0 is different, um, uh, and we will get several clear pieces of evidence that things are different. Less clear about exactly how and in what way he's different. We'll get to those eventually. Um, but, um, but he's definitely operating on a, uh, uh, in a, on a different basis, um, when he returns than he is now. Um, okay. Um, we will get to the sudden turn and the catastrophe next time. I think that was a whole nother slide and a half tonight. So I think that's probably, uh, Uh, as much progress as we can really hope for uh, in one single discussion here. But yeah, we we were on fire here tonight, right? I mean, that's, whew, yikes. Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna uh, finish our uh, text discussion there for the evening. Uh, stay tuned uh, for our field trip. Uh, we're gonna return to uh, the Greater Gladden Fields area, which is where we are exploring. We found uh, uh, the old homes of Smeagol's people, and we're uh, uh, we're now kind of exploring the area and trying to understand uh, the history of that particular zone, um, uh, which is. Um, uh, which is pretty interesting. So that's where we will get uh, next time. But um, uh, excellent. So I'm going to um, uh, now. Unfortunately, Valori has uh, uh, is not able to join us tonight. Uh, she had a uh, an unexpected. Uh, she has an unexpected a- a last minute absence here. Um, but um, uh, I think Druids Fire is going to join me for our field trip here.
1: Good evening.
0: Good evening, Druids Fire. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, and you, sir?
0: Good. Is that a is that a is that a Christmas tree? Whoorn there?
1: Uh, I do have one. Yes, somewhere.
0: The, yeah, there's a little adorable. Uh,
1: Might be Maze.
0: Animated Christmas tree there. That's uh, that's 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 just adorable. Okay. Oh,
1: you're still in the Laura. I'm actually already in Blumgard because I'm okay. on the guardian.
0: Excellent. So I'm going to head to Blumgard. Blumgard is where we're going to meet up, and we'll set off from there again as we have the last few weeks. We might make it down to the next uh, the next milestone tonight, but we'll see. We'll see how far we get.
1: Indeed. If anybody uh, wants to join our little party, uh, send a tell to Caressa, favorite of Elrond.
0: All right. Here we go. So that's the art, Kyressa, K Y R E S S A. Yeah, so if you're in the game, yeah, K Y R E S S A. There we are. All right. All right, and we've got Dimaetherial here, so if we run into any wandering Balrogs, we'll be safe. That's always good to know.
1: We've
0: got Rosy Lass. There we go, Rosy Lass is here too. Very good. Okay, so let's head out towards the gate, which I always forget where that is from here. It's this way, right? Oh, yeah. Got it in one. Okay. Yeah, so let's meet up at the gate here.
1: Alright, had to get JJ in the party.
0: Absolutely. No, Brandon, there aren't wandering Balrogs. Uh, I'm just saying that we would be equipped if... There were. That's all. That's all. I'm just saying I don't fear them uh, because we have... So I'm teasing D-May because of that memorable uh, um, uh, Mythgard Monday session several years back when we were doing the rift together and she accidentally killed the Balrog, Um, you know, like you do, just kind of accidentally.
1: It was an accident, so...
0: Yeah, it could happen to anybody, you know. Like when you just just don't know your own strength, you know, you just... uh, Still one of my all-time favorite raiding moments. Um, all right, are we ready? I think we're all here.
1: I believe so. We've got a hunter in both groups, uh, guardian Excellent. in both groups. Cool. We've got shield wall on you, so hopefully you won't die.
0: <laughs> all right. We will see. Um, okay, so I'm gonna. I think heading around this way. This is uh, this is the river with the waterfall, right? Yes. As I recall, when we headed, like, north of here and then went down, we we found a relatively gradual approach to the crossing. Right, There's also
1: the road that wraps around to the south that you'll let you cross the river without even needing to properly ford it.
0: Okay. Um, well, this is kind of heading, as I recall, straight towards the, yeah, this is going straight into the heart of the country that we're going to be exploring. So and once again... Nice. Here we are on the river. Uh, and there's the excavation. So there is the site of the battle, the disaster of the Gladden Field. Uh, we are now headed to um, the. Oh, wow. Sorry, I was like completely submerged underwater there for a minute. Um, is that like a new thing? Do you actually like dive down and no, then come up? No,
1: you can't. Yeah. Only if you play Standing Stone's other game.
0: Yeah. Okay, looked like you totally could. I know. Like Arnos was just saying, "Did you die?" Yeah, I'd like completely vanished when I started swimming there. I'd never seen that before. Anyway, um, so um, we're headed towards the slopes of the hills where the uh, the family of Smeagol once dwelt, and we're gonna head a little further uphill. We were exploring the orc camp, um, and we saw evidence of dwarvish presence. Uh, dwarvish operations <clears throat> there before. Um, and so it looked like the <clears throat> the orcs had come and they had slain the dwarves that had been there. Um, and what am I being attacked by? Wandering glooms? Yeah, I think so. Oh yeah, he's pursuing me. Yeah, they will. I'm being pursued by gloom. Oh dear. Um,
1: Give me a second to catch up
0: no worries. Uh-oh. I've got the a frog team on my. I'm kiting all kinds of fun things.
1: It'll be fine. That's
0: fine. Yeah, I'm not too worried. Um so um cool. And we are going to head up to the <clears throat> part of this map that I haven't seen. Um and of course as everybody knows what I really enjoy about these field trips uh I've been exploring my way through Lotro in several different ways. The Lord of the Rings online adaptation is a delightful one. Um, on my Friday Grifflet streams on the Lotro official Twitch channel, I've been exploring the whole quest story of the game and kind of going through um, uh, the, the narrative of the, of, of the game. And that's, of course my number one interest. Um, what we have kind of taken to doing here in our field trips in exploring the Lord of the Rings is exploring uh, the world, looking at the whole kind of countryside, the entire world of uh, Middle-earth as they've depicted it here, as they built it out uh, here in the game uh, as uh, adaptation not just of, of course, the Lord of the Rings narrative itself, <clears throat> though that as well, of course, but, um, uh, but of Um, you know, the entire, you know, the entire world and the legendarium that we have, and which, that, that of course, uh, Standing Stone has the rights to depict. Um, So I love seeing what they've done here, and I am interested to see, is this, what is this, a haystack? Is this deliberately piled hay?
1: Kind of looks like it.
0: Who made this haystack? That's weird. Why would there be a haystack here?
1: Well, there are marsh tenders here.
0: Is it? So, right, so yeah. J- this? Right, JJ suggesting it could be a bog guardian nest. There are some marsh tenders, yes, and mossbacks, and they're, they're, they appear to be maddened. Um,
1: there's some that are frightened over here, too.
0: There's some that are maddened and some that are frightened? Oh, dear.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I feel bad that we're you know, if we're contributing to the emotional distress. ah, oh, yeah, there's some others here. They, they must be nests. I've never seen those. Or maybe if they, if I did see them in the, um, you know, maybe in the Lone Lands, they didn't look like that.
1: We're going to want to actually go up the hill, the path to above the waterfall. Okay. there's up there.
0: Hang on, I'm kiting more marsh tenders now. Here I am adding to the psychological and emotional distress of marsh tenders all over the place here apparently um how very distressing um okay so we need to get up there cuz i want to i want to yeah i want to i want to i want to see what's up in the lake so where's the path how do we get up there
1: it's back a little ways here
0: we we got to we got to backtrack
1: yep just a little bit
0: okay all right let's let's
1: Just past this bit of rock where we fought, saw the first Oh, we got to go thing. up the slope
0: up there? Okay. Yep. All right, that's fine. Yep. Yeah. Okay.
1: And this is where the, the group will want to kill everything.
0: Oh, yeah, so things start getting real dangerous up here?
1: They have nasty debuffs and whatnot on them.
0: Is this like a... Do they... Do they st- in these parts of... By these parts, I mean the areas that are, you know, released this late in the game. Um, uh, Because what is this, level 130?
1: No, this is actually level 120-ish area. 120,
0: 125, around there.
1: Yeah, this Um, was a little bit of a lead-in between Minas Morgul and the end of um, the Mordor. Right, okay,
0: I see 120. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyways, but it's still a relatively recent area. Do they still have, like, fellowship areas like they did in the older...
1: Oh yeah. Zones? yeah. yeah. That's why I said we're not going to go visit the Giants, unless you want us all to kill the Giants.
0: Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, channeling Winnie the Pooh. Are there any Giants? Um,
1: yes.
0: Well, my only question would be, why on earth would we not go see the Giants? I mean, come okay. on. Okay.
1: If you want to go see the Giants, we'll go see the Giants.
0: Dude. Yeah, that's got to happen. But anyway, okay, the Gladden Falls. Alright, so now let's pause here for a second by the falls and hopefully not fall off, but uh, let's sit here with uh, Bill the Pony. I think it's good to see Bill the Pony enjoying the view with us. Um, uh, marvelous view. Now, we were speculating before, given where the location of the battle was, which we know wasn't in the swamp, um, uh, that um, the topography has changed, right? the 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 you know, the course of the river has altered somewhat and this was presumably not lowlands before. So we were speculating that between here and the edge of the river proper uh, over there on the far side of that rise in the middle where the excavation is, um, that was probably dry land and so that's why this was a nice flat plain for the Numenorian army to march north on on their way from Gondor to Arnor. Um, so that still seems to hold perfectly well. But uh, presumably even in those days this... um would have been here, (laughs) right? I mean, this, uh, uh, the difference here between the, um, uh, the highland and the lowland here, um, so that what we have up here on the, on the uphill side, uh, of this, um, uh, you know, of this mountain wall, this cliff wall here, um, would have been in play at the time of the, uh Numenorean expedition up here and the battle um but good night that's a lot more than i expected to find up here
1: yes it is
0: holy cow that's a lot of building
1: um yeah it it, it from my recollection it doesn't really play into the epic story that deals with the gladden fields it's just, kind of here it's like well they needed some content between point a and point b right what the heck let's just throw a dwarven city in the place and put a couple instances and have fun with it
0: well okay so the dwarf the the idea of a dwarvish outpost here is i can get behind that in several ways right first on the one hand um there is a desire on the part of um the game to kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the developers to kind of build out Khazad-dûm, right? You know, khazad Doom is not just where they went through from one end of the mountain to... I mean, it is the great realm and kingdom of the Duarodelf right? So um, some... When we explore thoroughly the whole countryside, that we should see some evidence that... Moria with, and I'm not even talking about the amount of time that we can spend exploring in Moria. Certainly the amount of map that we get in Moria is quite vast all by itself. Um but mm-hmm. even in addition to that that they would want to have some landscape examples of that. I mean going for a second to the map, not just this map. Um not even just this map, but this map. Uh down here, right down near the you know, near the in the you know, the lower part of the Misty Mountains here is the part of Moria that we interact with in the narrative, right? Here's where they enter in, where the Siranan uh, the gate stream comes out uh, here uh, above that little blue portal there on the map is a little map indicator of where Moria is underneath the mountains there. Um, so they travel from here and they come out, of course, up here by, um, uh, you know, by uh, Lothlorien. Um, and uh, so, so all of the, you know, what we get in the book Uh, is, you know, Moria down here, that there would be more to Moria, right? That the, um, that the reach of the dwarves of Khazad-dûm went beyond just the halls that were built. So even if we imagine like their main city being down here between those two gates, um, here in this stretch of the Misty Mountains, um, We know that, like, from what we see of the goblin tunnels, for instance, in the Misty Mountains, we know that there are, there's a vast tunnel network going through the Misty Mountains lengthwise, right? I mean, you can go Mm -hmm. all over the place in the mountains, underground. And if that's true, then surely the dwarves of Khazad-dum, when they are at the height of their powers, would have availed themselves of some of the, or indeed would likely have built many of these originally, right?
1: Also considering that Gundabad is at the northern end of the river,
0: Exactly. And exactly. that's the
1: other I mean, there's like three major um dwarven kingdoms that we're know we know of Kazadun, we know of Erebor, and we know of Gundabad. There's also, you know, the the Blue Hills or the Blue Mountains, but um those three in that little triangle there, they're you know, they're they're gonna build more just because there's you know, they're not self contained. They're gonna expand too as as their numbers increase.
0: Right. I mean it's the the, the kind of, uh, uh, you know, urban part of, of you know, khazad Doom if you want to say it that way. Again, like the place where all of the, you know, the main realm is, may be the center, the heart of the kingdom. Um, but it would certainly have extended further. This was the greatest of all of the Dwarf Kingdoms. Um, they're not just going to be clustered in that one little bit. As impressive as Moria is, there's more to it uh, than just that. So I can get totally behind that. I think that's a really good adaptation. And so, therefore, I think it's a great idea to show. To- so, and we already saw one, of course, a long time ago, um, blanking on it. What is it? Helad in uh, the Misty Hel- yeah, in the Misty Mountain area. Um so in the map that would have been what like up here basically up by the last syllable of Misty Mountains on this map here. Um, we already saw
1: Heligrod was Isn't it isn't um, it around up there?
0: It's like not far up yeah. from Rivendell, right? So it's going to be somewhere around here I'm thinking. Um, anyway, uh, you know and that's on the that's on the west side of the mountains. Um, right, right So there we already saw ways in which the you know developers from a long time ago were already thinking about um, uh, the presence of the dwarves and how that you know their kingdom is 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 spanning the misty mountains. Um, so that there would also be something over here on the west side. What could be likelier, right? I mean, that, that would just
1: be the longbeards, of course, we've got six other clans to account for.
0: Whether there's they that, can too. Name
1: them canonically or not, and of course, exactly. We know of two have been put into game with other names,
0: right? Exactly. I mean, we knew that those clans existed. Um, uh, so yes, the, 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 uh, you know, Lotro storytellers have certainly, um, you know understandably wanted to add those in since we're getting so much of the landscape of Middle-earth here. Uh, That makes, certainly, I I always thought, a lot of sense. Um, Yeah, right
1: now most players are sick of Dwarven politics. Right.
0: right. Well, especially those who have actually played all of those Dwarf-heavy areas in the north that I have barely even been to yet. Um, uh, Yeah, good. Nancy L. was just saying that the settlements around the Iron Hills are also expanded beyond just the mine. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Oh my goodness, that's yes. part of it. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah, getting, we'll get you
1: there. Getting the again, full we'll development of
0: the kingdom there. No, and I I'm, I'm I'm really interested. I mean, it's it's such a fun opportunity when doing an adaptation of the kind that they're doing here, you know, trying to build out a version of the world based on everything that Tolkien said but of course there's so much that he doesn't say so you know where you can go where you can speculate how you build it out based on what Tolkien I think is you know uh, within the you know the kind of the the limitations that Tolkien sets in a sense um, is a huge part of the fun uh, not only of playing but I would imagine of writing the game as well so um, uh, so I think that's that's uh, that's Pretty cool. Um, we should
1: schedule you with an interview with uh, Jeff and Chris again. It's about time.
0: You're right. We haven't done that in a while. We should. Yeah. Uh, we should get together. And of course, to...
1: when Grifflet finally crosses over to Gondor, you have a date with Pinyon to talk about the River Maidens.
0: Yes, indeed. That's coming up. Well, not immensely soon, but not too far away. We're no, we're,
1: not immensely soon. You, you got a lot to there.
0: do. Yeah, yeah. Maybe by the end of the year. Uh, <laughs> we'll <No>. see. <laughs> you don't think so? No. <laughs> Yeah, especially not if I'm doing all the Helms Deep stuff.
1: It, not even the Helm's Deep stuff is uh, all the various zones of you just crossed into the West Emnet. So yeah. you've got the Broadacres, the Stone Deans, um, Aldberg, the but Antway. I've done
0: I've done all of the all of the East Emnet and Wildermore. You know, yeah, yeah. And I it, did that in but, like what? Like a year ish a more, maybe. Okay. But
1: there's so much story to do. Oh
0: I know. I'm looking forward to it. It's so good. All right. So I, so, what I want to what I'm doing here as we're approaching. This, so first of all, hang on a second. Here I am running up this path and not looking at the stones. What am I thinking? Evidence of flagstones. Yes, clearly well broken up. Right. This is an old road that's not been used, but this was clearly these are not just flat rocks. Right. This was this was a flagstone path in times past. Right. I'm looking for evidence of carvings that look like something was carved on this rock that I'm standing on right now, but I don't, you can't really tell what it was. I'm trying to figure out who made this path. If there's any evidence, can we see any stars or anything? Is this a Gondorian road or was this a dwarf road? And I'm not seeing enough surviving.
1: Yeah, it seems all pretty. The lines are all pretty geometric shapes.
0: Yeah. Could well. I mean, I would think it would be a dwarf road. Gondor wouldn't have any reason to build this road, unless—and this is one of the things I'm interested to see—if there's any evidence of, um, did the um, did the dwarves build this in response to the rise of Gondor, basically as like a a trade outpost? Because then let me go back to my map for a second. Um, well, you'd think they could have had a slightly more convenient yeah but not that bad i mean there so there are a couple if you're thinking about trade routes between moria and gondor right again i'm just imagining if you're dwarves you might want to be thinking about this um uh and we would have had some time we would have had a little bit of time to uh um have uh yeah um but anyway okay so we have um uh, the um the rivers of course would be the primary routes uh to travel down towards gondor um and we've got these two inlets right um mm-hmm. well but obviously they're not going to go through fangorn um this seems as convenient as uh um seems as convenient as any of them right to get in so basically i'm trying to one of the things i would like to see if we could figure out and i don't know if we will be able to figure it out. Um, uh, see if we could figure out which came first, uh, this dwarvish outpost or the Gondorian kingdom. Because one of the things that I would like to sort of speculate about was this: here, were the dwarves here? Were there dwarf? Were there dwarf lookouts watching the disaster of the Gladden Fields? I mean it just seems really conspicuous when you go to like where we were standing at the waterfall right you're looking out right over where the disaster happened right the, the you mm-hmm. would have had, you would have that would have been a front row seat to the annihilation of the Gondorian army you know of Isildur's army coming up um were there any dwarves who had that front row seat or was this built afterwards after the disaster has happened and before the. Um, uh, bef- and, and, but, like, you know, while, the, you know, during the first prosperity of the Kingdom of Gondor. Um, I'm not really sure. So we'll see what we can see now. I don't think I've ever seen a dude with a boat over his head before.
1: Uh, yeah. Doc, uh, Boatmasters are now a new thing in the game.
0: I mean, I've um, seen people with little rowboats that you could take, like in, yes. uh, you know, uh, um, uh, what's it called? Evendim. Um Yeah,
1: they're expanding that network. Uh they've added a couple of new stops to that particular network because at some point, probably this year, they're going to be opening a level 40 to 50ish area between Evendim and Trestlebridge that players have found called the Wildwood.
0: Really, between Evendim uh-huh. and Trestlebridge, huh?
1: Yeah, Severin spoke about it uh recently when there was a and a with him. So you can kind of go he's...
0: downstream from from Arid Lewin all the way
1: uh, yeah, actually, there is a Dockmaster down in Newbury now.
0: Interesting. Oh, man, now and i got to go. at
1: King's Crossing?
0: I'm going to have to, like, backtrack and re-explore the areas we've finished already.
1: Okay. I, actually, I asked um scenario about it um, when I was at the office. Was it last year? I, I can't remember if it was pre-COVID or pre-pre-COVID. Um, but I asked him, I was like, well, can you tell us about the Wildwood? And he said, no comment.
0: Okay, okay. He was
1: not talking.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. So, this place is fairly ruinous. Now, of course, it's kind of hard to say. Like, this is old. Does that mean it's, you know, 2,000 years old or 4,000 years old? You know, it's a little bit hard to say. I mean, the Dwarves of Moria have been there for an awful long time. Um, So... There's every, okay, Okay, the sentence I was just about to say was, there's every reason to think that the dwarves um, would, could have built this with no reference to Gondor at all. But why? What's the point of this? There are docks, we've already found the docks. Um,
1: Why would they need a point of reference for Gondor? They were their own kingdom. They didn't really care what happened to Gondor, w-
0: unless so they, they wanted to trade. Trade was a thing the Dwarves were into. So the rise of Gondor again, the dwar- you know, Gondor would be the new neighbors, not close neighbors, you know, but like the new neighbors down the road uh, from Moria, um, and certainly uh, they would be interested, I'm sure, in you know Numenorean. Technology and metallurgy, and st- I have no difficulty in imagining that the dwarves of Moria would be interested in trading with the Numenorians uh, of of Gondor. Um, but, but, so that would be enough reason. But would they have any other reason? Is there anything? Is there any? Is there any evidence that we can have? Um, uh, Is there any evidence that we can see, like, what... I want, I want to see if we can figure out what was this what was this place for, you know? Um, My first answer to that question, in as much as it's an answer, uh, or, you know, my first negative answer to that question is it seems to be not built for defense. This is pretty open. This whole approach, I mean, there are... Arches and stuff, but these are decorative colonnades and stained glass. Look at the stained glass. Ooh, look at the stained glass.
1: Is it? Would you say it's more of a long beard-y sort of thing or? A, oh no, that's handy. long. That's
0: well. See, it doesn't look much like the long stuff. I mean, it doesn't look like the, um, you know, Thorin era long beard-y stuff that we see. I mean, it's it's different, very different in architecture from the, you know, in style from the. Um, the stuff we saw in the Arid Lewin, the newer stuff in the Arid Lewin. But like the, certainly the stained glass does not look like the stained glass of the, um, uh, of the, da- of the Dower Hands, that what we concluded to be Dower Handy. Um, I'm thinking... Is
1: that the witch... I'm looking at the stained glass and it kind of looks like a cloak with no head and a crown over top and then two towers.
0: I'm thinking mountains. A mountain... With towers yeah. in yeah. front okay. and a crown up above. So, first thing, I think it is pictorial. That's the main thing I was going to point to as a difference, right? The The dower handy stuff was not pictorial. Their, their stained glass wasn't pictorial. Yeah, this does after. seem to be, yeah, this, this does seem to be pictorial. So, that's the first thing. But as far as what it depicts, it looks like mountain with crown above, but then towers kind of framing the mountain. Right. Kind of built up on the slopes. I think that's depicting this like this. It reminds me of what we saw looking at this from a distance. Right. With the the towers and the sort of the fortress thing built Mm -hmm. on the front. And then but still with 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 the recognition, like basically saying if I did
1: a lake in the mountains in the past,
0: it's possible. I mean, my like. If I'm reading that right, if the blue part on the top is sky and the bottom part is mountain. How I would read this is, I I would translate that image as, um, this is an outpost of Khazad-dum. You know, again, mountain with crown means Khazad-dum. The two towers do suggest the three mountains even. Or maybe you can even see the three mountains if that joint down the middle is taken. We see, like, the two lower peaks in the front and then the higher peak in the back. It could be the three peaks there, um... And uh but but again, the towers in the front like this, this fortress that you see with the mountains in the background. This is more. This is khazad right? Property of khazad is how I would how I would read that. And, and so, again, there seems to be it seems to be more. Now, Emily is saying there are windows up top that are different, which is exciting. Um So, yes. Uh Oh, well, OK. So on the one hand they're different but on the other hand they are a good deal plainer which is a little bit disappointing um they just seem to be
1: yeah they're more abstract and just
0: tinted i can't you know. really see what the um red it thing
1: seems like there should be a design on it but there isn't
0: i there's something black on top of the red but yeah, i can't really yeah i mean really it, like it should it be some
1: sort of design but it's not yeah Might just be dirt
0: yeah Um, now one thing that's interesting here, I am not seeing anything I would point to as evidence of two different, two or more different stages of architecture. This all seems to be one, seems to be of a piece. Um, Uh, so... Unlike, of course, like the layer upon layer that we kept seeing in the Arid Lewin, understandably because of the different clans and the different
1: hmm. epics. I'm having trouble hearing you. Stupid. Hi Siri.
0: Siri, who occasionally decides to to chip in, uh, and but she always has the same thing to say. Um, Oh, no, that's interesting. That's, of course, look, that's like classic casadum Big dwarf face with something coming out the mouth. Mm-hmm, but chains instead of waterfall, instead of the waterfall forming a beard, the, like, angry face that's, like, you know, vomiting the chains forth, that's really um, intimidating. Um, Much angrier and creepier, like the eyes, right? He's got these scary mm-hmm. eyes, which, again, we didn't see in the... You know, the, like, waterfall beard statues inside Moria, right? Um, but still I don't know, I'd be grumpy
1: the coming out of my mouth, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, again, I'm not saying he doesn't have a reason to be grumpy, but, um, I mean, I don't know if this means they have, like, really uncomfortably pierced uvulas or something like that, but, um, uh, but anyway. Um,
1: if you're running, you get the discovery for the instance, if you want it. Run up to it.
0: There's an instance. Where's the instance? Right where I am. Wait oh, in the gate? Right. Yep. Okay, here I thought this was a swimming thing, but I guess we're still there's still a bridge. Okay. Yep. The depths of Kidzulkala. Uh
1: huh. Okay. That way if you ever want to go back in the future, you can then just use the instance finder without having to go all the way back here.
0: Alright, I completed the discovery thereof. There we are. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay.
1: We well, yeah, need a closer look at some of the stained glass windows with this tower that's in the middle of the lake. Do a little bit of swimming.
0: With the one straight of the kind of leaning tower right there? Yeah,
1: the leaning tower in the lake.
0: All right, let's There's see. There's
1: nothing that's going to hurt us in the lake until you get too close to the north side and then giants.
0: Okay. Well, that's I'm fine with giants.
1: I yeah, like giants. Cool.
0: I'm keen to see giants. Okay, so let's see where...
1: It's very basic architecture. It really doesn't speak to dwarven artistry in their architecture. It's really basic.
0: So here's what I'm trying to decide. Does that... Even the windows here, these windows are different from both of the others that we were looking at. They're not arched for one thing. They're rectangular. Um, But... um,
1: the same basic pattern though, if you look at the reflection.
0: Yes. That I could see. I mean the of the glass itself. Yeah, um
1: with the big red dot in it.
0: Right, well, a smaller dot. Where's the yeah. Um so anyway, what I was saying was the cuz I agree with you, this is fairly simple. The architecture is fairly simple. Um does that suggest that this is older or newer? And I think we've got to go with newer, right? Um,
1: it does feel newer, yeah. The
0: older, if this had been constructed closer to the, you know, the glory days of Khazad-dum, right? Closer to, you know, like, you know, in the time of during the Great, surely it would be greater. Right? Yes. I mean,
1: yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. I mean, if it's going to change. Basic.
0: Right. It's going to get it's it's going to it's going to the there are the architectural skill of the doors is going to decrease over time, not increase over time. Right. That that's seems fair. That's
1: clear. a lore point that game developers included yeah. in uh content in Erebor.
0: Yes. Yes. Um I really like the Um, I really like the uh, waterfall and the bridge. Mm Mm-hmm. That would have been damp, but lovely, I'm sure, originally, you know, before it collapsed.
1: Yeah, Um, You can definitely see there's collapse, and it's not just like, oh, hey, orcs moved in to destroy the place.
0: No, no. And the orcs haven't moved in, just... Spirits,
1: or have they?
0: Well, we haven't seen any. Uh, we haven't seen. We're any also yet.
1: not on. There, there's another path that curves up the side of the mountain to the south and uh-huh. you can go closer to the bridge up there.
0: I see. Okay.
1: You can also follow the path north across the mountain, and you'll find a. Don't follow it because you'll find a very familiar place that you can't get back from.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay. Hey, look! Well, there's metal, Makar and his shining belt, and snow, stars, and snow, and mist over the misty mountains. And what a lovely sure, evening is. this has been. It is. Um, excellent. Okay, so I'm gonna tentatively conclude based on the fairly tenuous evidence of what does look to me. Like, I mean, this. I agree with you when you compare this. Architecture to the architecture in, like, the, you know, center of Khazad-dûm. Um, this does look more basic, more crude. This does not really look like their best work. So I would therefore conclude, tentatively, that it was probably later rather than earlier by the dwarves, and that um, it is therefore... Probably post dates the disaster of the Gladden Fields. There probably was not a group of dwarves munching popcorn watching the disaster of the Gladden Fields from the top of the waterfall, um, which is, it's nice to think that that did not happen. Um, uh, but, um, so yeah, I think, and that makes sense anyway, because uh, we know that there were dwarves who were fighting on the side of. The you know, we you know, that all of the peoples were represented, um, at the you know, the battles of the last alliance, the battles of Daggerlad. Um, so, um, uh, the um, uh, the fact that so dwarves were fighting with them, uh, with uh, Isildur, like they would have known dwarves, and so it's a little bit sad to imagine that many of the dwarves, presumably they were dwarves of Khazad-dûm, like they would have been his allies, and so to imagine them just sort of standing by and not helping when his whole army was defeated seems rather sad. Um, So I prefer the version of the story that says, this happened afterwards. Um, Once... Gondor was a little bit better established, perhaps, again, if it is a trade route that they're interested in. Um, I still didn't see any clear evidence as to why they built this. Um, I mean, an outlet, I mean, it would surely lead into Moria, but um, um, I, don't, uh, I don't see any clear evidence for what the function of this thing was, other than an outlet. Um, and an outlet right along a lake which leads to a river which weeds down to Anduin, and therefore... Uh, trade route is the main thing that I It is a trade continued uh, yeah.
1: because there this is the other side of the pass of Carothhras. Mm-hmm. So if you go up the mountain and cross to the other side, you'll be in the red horn loads or the red horn right, path. Right. So this is the path that was taken by the fellowship and they had to turn back. Right. So they would have passed through here, assuming the plan had gone the way it should have, and they Carothray egged on by Saruman, didn't go after them. Right, right. So collecting tolls, doing trade, not a defensible location, as you said, because of the, the, the way it's not very fortified, but more decorative. Yep. Makes a lot of sense.
0: Yep, exactly.
1: exactly. So basically a waypoint on, on the trade route.
0: That's what I would think, too. That's what I would think, too. All right. Very good. Well, um it's... Getting late, so I'm gonna let uh, folks go. Thanks everybody for joining us again this week. Um, maybe we'll play with the giants next week. Can I? Can, oh, I, can I? Oh yeah. Can you I play can with giants? giants?
1: Yes. you can okay. play With the giants, and
0: I'll run up and try to look at them quick before you guys or as you guys are killing them, and we'll we'll all be happy. Well, we
1: can actually hang out in the river, a couple that are close enough into the lake. Great. They, they will kind of look at us funny, but Excellent. if you want to get a, like a close look, we'll probably need a lore master to try to try to stun them or something like oh yeah well no, i know i i
0: prefer to examine them while they're pounding on me so we'll see um <laughs> uh and uh my demise would only lengthen my opportunities to examine them so anyway um great um uh so we'll 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 play with giants next week and then maybe move downriver a bit uh uh next week so cool excellent Thank you very much, everybody, for joining us, and I will see you guys again next week. Bye now. Bye.